0: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Ant Man does for the assertion that size matters. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are.
1: Seb Patrick
0: and James Hunt. We will actually discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news. I know we normally don't when we're talking about a new release, but let's be honest, this, this came anyways. out in, in America <laughs> conservatively six months ago at this point. <laughs> and even, even we're a couple of weeks behind it because uh, of availability. I've been on holiday. Um, so yeah, we thought we we probably haven't done news since Comic Con, so let's get some news in there. You don't need to hear, hear our spoiler-free thoughts. We're just going to go straight into spoilers and Ant Man and the Wasp. When we do, um, and that's the film we're covering, by the way. <laughs> it's it's Peyton Reed's 2018 movie Ant Man and the Wasp. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb and James to tell me something that I don't know about Hank Pym. Do you know um I think his current status quo in the
2: comics is that he turned half into Ultron and then flew off into space.
0: <laughs> no. I thought he was I thought he was dead in the comics. Hasn't he been dead for ages? He's
1: usually dead in the comics. Is he
2: I'm not sure I can remember him ever dying.
1: Really? I think my my overriding impression of Hank Pym as a character in all the time that I've been reading Marvel comics is that he's a character who's not around. He's, a, he's the guy who used to be Ant-Man and Giant-Man. I've very rarely read comics where he's currently anything. Like the most I can think is he was around because he's one of the Illuminati, isn't he? Um, is he? And him being... a am sure he is, yeah.
2: He might be now. Uh, he wasn't but in as, the but classic Illuminati. As,
1: no, no, I mean the, the like the twenty tens, the Illuminati. That's like Professor X no, and Doctor Strange no, 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 and that one no, As, as yellow jacket, the Avengers one. Uh, I'm I'm looking at this and no, no, I'm talking about the the Illuminati that was created by Brian Michael Bendis.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was never in that. So when he? you said classic, I was like, "Is that what was there one in the seventies or something?" He, he, guys, he was. I asked for something that I don't know about. The not, something that James know. not something that James doesn't know. I'm looking up right now. <laughs> and as as Yellow Jacket, he was one of the Illuminati. When? Maybe not initially, but at some point he has been. <laughs> the initial one was
2: Professor X, Iron Man, Namor, Reed Richards, Doctor yeah. Strange, and Black Bolt.
1: Yeah, that's that's James, the maybe initial. he was so small. That None he of those see. are Hank Pim. <laughs> Look, I'm looking up... uh, He was shown to be one of the Illuminati in Avengers issue 35...
0: I think this is captivating podcasting, you guys, but I simply have to move us on. Okay. Is there anything else that you can tell me that I don't know about Hank Pym? I mean, Basically, all all I know is that he's a bit of an asshole.
1: I was going to say, you know the reasons why he's controversial because we've already done an Ant-Man podcast, so I'm sure we will have talked about him a bit there. Yeah, it's, and, and it's one and of those read, that sort of... I read,
0: the, obviously, the, the Mark Miller take on him mm, in Ultimates as well. And
1: there's the debate over, you know, uh, whether that should be held against him for as long as it has been when stuff like that has happened with other characters that maybe hasn't been held against them um it is worth noting that like
0: didn't he also create ultron though
1: he did also create ultron i mean i would yeah i was thinking more the you know the hitting janet thing which is a, yeah. an unforgivable act and that's generally why he's thought of as that until you remember that like spider-man did that almost exactly the same incident happened with spider-man and a pregnant mary jane in the 90s yeah as well. a pregnant mary people jane people forget what? that one yeah people conveniently was that, overlooked was that, that one when spider-man no it was during clone saga it was designed to sh- as a moment to show it wasn't him like it was him lashing out not realizing that she was there and he was freaked out because yeah. he basically just discovered that he maybe wasn't the real peter parker and it was designed to show that this was how off the rails he had gone and th- it was marvel going look we're going to bring in ben riley who doesn't have all of this baggage um anyway we're Getting off the topic, I'm just you know, uh, I'm not saying that Hank Pym should necessarily be forgiven for that. I just think it's interesting that Peter Parker it gets forgotten, probably because it was during the Clone Saga and only me and James like <laughs> <the Clone> Saga. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I I think Hank Pym. I have just never found him to be an interesting character, really. I, I I've never seen likable and interesting traits in him except in these movies. So.
2: I'm not sure yeah. I'd even go that far.
1: I, I like him in these movies. He's flawed, well, but I like him.
0: We'll get to all of that. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on now to discuss uh, this week's comic book movie and TV news. And actually, we have one piece of comic book movie news and one piece of comic book TV news. Um, so that's uh, that's quite neat and tidy. Um, the, the big one is uh, it all comes from an article that was published on Variety last week about what is now being called Sony's universe of Marvel characters. (laughs) Sump. Sump. (laughs) So we've got the MCU, the DCU, and Sump. Um, Let's go through the movies that Sony's universe of Marvel characters (laughs) are currently working on. There is
1: one in particular that (laughs) that I have been looking forward (laughs) to talking about.
0: We're going to go through them one at a time. After
2: Venom comes out, this is what we're getting.
0: Yeah. Well, well, number one is Venom, which the note on that is probably won't be rated R. Uh, (laughs) Given that trailer that we saw, seems (laughs) interesting. Wasn't he talking about eating someone's pancreas?
2: Uh, Venom always talks about eating people's brains, but he never actually does Mm. it, except in one miniseries that was quite good. It's called Venom the Hunger.
1: Okay, so... I re- I remembered recently so, what like the only the something that I w- like in terms of how they're doing Venom the version of Venom that they should do is the one who's in the PS1 Spider Man games when Spider Man reluctantly teams up with him and talks about going to the library and Venom becomes obsessed with the idea of going to surf the web and he's just like surf the web surf the web and it's really funny and it's the only time. Speaking of which, you Venom. guys,
0: are, you, are, are either of you planning on getting that Spider Man game that comes out next month because it looks so yes. good? Yes, I am.
1: I mean, if anything was ever going to tempt me to finally buy a current generation console, I don't think it's going to happen soon, but I can see myself eventually buying them. Maybe when the next generation has come along and they're incredibly cheap and I can buy it and play it because I never have the time to play new games like that, but it does look up. It it looks like like a modern um, version of the Spider-Man 2 movie game from uh, the mid-2000s, which was amazing. <laughs>
0: I'm just really worried about my productivity in September because the the new American football season starts and that game has been released. And I think that I will get nothing else done. Uh, Well, anyway, uh, movie two is Morbius, which we knew was happening uh, with um, Jared Leto, which you guys sufficiently convinced me might not be a terrible idea. Jared Leto aside. Um, then there is the recently announced Kraven the Hunter movie, which I think we talked about in the Comic-Con episode, did we? I can't remember they, if we
1: did. I don't think we did.
0: They're developing a Kraven the Hunter movie.
1: Um, I've got to say, if you're going to try and take a Spider-Man character who could potentially stand on his own and be interesting on his own... I'd look at Craven.
0: Yeah, cuz Craven's got a thing that of like they're not doing him in the Spider-Man movies first. Well, Craven he feels like he feels like the one big Spider-Man villain that they've not got to. Mm.
2: Craven is basically like Urban Tarzan.
1: Yeah. Like It's it's and not hard
2: to he, yeah. develop him in a standalone story, for sure.
1: He's absolutely somebody you could either introduce standalone and who would then slot quite nicely into the films, or you could introduce him Vice in a yeah. Spider-Man film and he would spin off quite nicely. He has been being used absolutely brilliantly in the most recent few issues of Squirrel Girl, <laughs> um, unexpectedly <laughs> oh. as an ally of Squirrel Girl and he written very well. I hadn't read well. Squirrel
0: Girl for a while. A lot of people dropped the, off it. I, he was in the early stuff, and he was fantastic. I
1: forgot enough. I forgot he was in the early stuff as well. Yes, this was actually him returning. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, I, a lot of people had dropped off, and I dropped off for a little bit, and then around about the time that Erica Henderson left, I read her last couple of issues, and the last issue that she drew was amazing. And then I thought, I'll, I'll give it a chance with the new artist, and I'm not super keen on the new art, but the the first storyline was this one with craven which also had spider-man in the most recent issue and yeah Ryan north writes that character and that relationship really really well and that's made me like Craven. i mean i like craven anyway i think he's fun i think i think you can have fun with him um, okay so, so craven yeah. craven
0: we think could work morbius we think could work the next one which again i think we've talked about is silk in fact we definitely talked about yeah. silk Um, And I can see that.
1: Yeah, I can see them doing Silk. She's not much outside of comics, but she's got brand recognition, character can stand up on her own as a Spider-Man-esque concept. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the next next two are kind of connected because rather than silver and black, (laughs) we are now going to get black and silver. Uh, they are developing separate movies based on those two. To be honest, it sounds like they're developing a Black Cat movie and Silver Sable is kind of sitting on the shelf as another character they could look at. Yeah, but they're never going to do a standalone not. Silver
1: Sable movie, but I could believe a standalone Black Cat yeah,
2: movie. Yeah, like Black Cat is basically and Catwoman, I think, that's fine. You can do a movie about that concept. Yeah,
0: and, and Black Cat is basically just... Uh, cut, I, uh, well, I mean, yeah i was i was about to try and describe what they could be doing with it and it was just going to be so <laughs> we'll move on <laughs> um but black cats are carrots that i kind of enjoy anytime she pops up in the comics so that would be that'd be fine by me um and then the next two i'm going to save the best till last <laughs> uh the next one is the next one is night watch uh have we talked about Nightwatch already yeah. i think <laughs> night watch I is I the um
2: the spawn knockoff that's right. Yeah. Which which I that. think
0: we all kind of thought wasn't like yeah yeah, well you're never going to make that no. movie. Yeah. No chance. And then and then the It's the n- kind next of I tell you what
1: Nightwatch is the kind of thing that before the general kind of break up of all the various bits of Marvel rights, you could imagine a small studio cheaply picking up the rights to to Nightwatch alone. And just making a film out of him because they had the rights to him.
2: (laughs) Nightwatch would be good. I can't see it
1: being one of the Sony movies.
2: Nightwatch would be good if you were going to make a TV series for Netflix.
1: (laughs) And he was the only one you had the rights to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and the final character is...
0: (laughs) Jackpot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We've had Um, some fun conversations about this this week already. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, oh, man. So, Jackpot... Jackpot was created by Dan Slott, but for, uh, yeah, that's for one, so not story. very long ago then. <laughs> so the thing about Jackpot is Jackpot appeared... Jackpot was, was a masked vigilante with red hair who called herself Jackpot, who... Started mysteriously appearing and crossing paths with Spider-Man at a point when I can
0: see I can see where this is going yeah, already.
1: At a point that was not that long after Brand New Day. Uh, in fact, it might have been around about the time that Brand New Day started, which was the the continuity judder. Uh, of of the Spider-Man books where Mary Jane and Spider-Man's marriage was erased so Spider-Man was not in regular contact with Mary Jane and all of a sudden a red-haired vigilante called Jackpot appears so naturally Spider-Man and thus the reader think that this character is Mary Jane and this went on for a few issues <laughs> yeah and for like and three was, months <laughs> Yeah, and then it was revealed that she wasn't Mary Jane she was just a random woman who looked a bit like Mary Jane and who was a super-powered vigilante And then within a year of her first appearance, she got killed off. And she's never been seen again. About two years after she was killed off, there was a three-issue miniseries about her, but it wasn't that version of the character. It was a flashback to the earlier version of the character who... Or it it might have been that the earlier version of the character resumed the identity after she died. Basically, the the character who died had bought the identity off another character who'd never existed before, for some reason. And so
0: what what's her stick? does she have powers do you want me to read
2: do you want me to read out the explanation from wikipedia (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) it says uh originally sporting a disco era costume jackpot wore a green jumpsuit with bell bottoms gold cuffs a silver stripe running down the front and a gold mask that covers her eyes the side of her face and apparently wraps behind her head she also wore a belt with the number seven 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 on it referring to the substance that gave us gave her her powers Though not initially considered part of her costume, Jackpot's long hair is revealed to be a wig.
1: Right. So <laughs> I think her powers are just. She's just like generically sort of strong. Yeah, she's and just vulnerable, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. And it's just. There is nothing. Like, literally, the only reason she existed was to briefly create a frisson of, oh wow, has Mary Jane become a vigilante? Oh no, she hasn't. I so don't even quite, know why like, they did the three-issue miniseries because it was about a completely different character in a different version of the costume, and it just it just didn't take off. I've no idea how much it sold. I would be kind of interested to <laughs> see how it. much it sold. <laughs> um, so it sold at least one, uh, <laughs> unless James pirated it um, or read it on unlimited. I bought it on Comicology so. <laughs> legally. Um, it's just it's even by the standards of all the stuff we've talked about, you know, even silver and black. These are characters with history and pedigree and a bit of name recognition. And more to the point, ignore history and pedigree and name recognition. Concepts behind them. Morbius, the living vampire. Black Cat... Bad luck powers, silver sable, conflicted mercenary. These are all. They, they all have character traits. Jackpot. I don't know what her character traits are because she doesn't have any because she wasn't in enough comics <laughs> to have any. Her only personality trait is being a bit like Mary Jane, but not actually. I mean, being lit- her. in
2: fact, literally, like the only context around Jackpot is that the woman who took over the Jackpot identity, or one of the ones who formed the Jackpot identity, was a fan of Mary Jane when she was on the that soap opera she used to act in. Yeah. And that you can't why, even do that yeah, in the movie. Exactly. You can't got... like remove Mary the jackpot from the context of Mary Jane yeah. and there is no concept.
1: It's even worse so it than goes, Venom without the concept of Spider-Man. Yeah,
2: there's nothing
0: take, take a step back and imagine that you, you know, you, you don't know Spider-Man comics at all or you you're like just, you know, you've picked up some books, you're having a look through all the IP why do they land on jackpot to your i don't know the only only thing i could think about the the article the variety article that was talking about all of these movies and obviously drops that jackpot was one of the characters being developed was kind of first of all that one interesting note was that sony aren't going to have a kevin feige type figure these movies are kind of going to be in an interconnected universe in the sony's universe of marvel characters but that they're not going to have a kind of creative lead that was the first interesting tidbit the second one was that they were very kind of like they were beating their chest a little bit about how much they were going to be ide- they were going to be uh you know pursuing diversity in their comic book heroes and they didn't have to all be white men despite the fact that it sounds like the first three of these movies are gonna be <laughs> movies with my white men um i was trying to think does does the spider-man catalogue have many other female characters that they could be absolutely they're
1: actively doing three I'm not saying that that's too many I'm just saying the fact that they are that they are looking at films based around silk black cat and silver sable tells you that the answer Hmm. to that is yes
0: (laughs) but no but so but that's what I mean they've got those characters and then they've got jackpot but what I'm saying is are there characters between those three and jackpot that would have made more sense yes
1: there are Um, tons spider gwen slash ghost spider as she is now um lady
0: octopus if they, if they can do that
1: <laughs> who is the one who does the that live be streaming better. stunner would be better stunner. oh, the, oh the, yeah that was quite yeah do you know um i mean maybe the the zeitgeist still have moved on by then but um that was another dan slot creation what was her name um yeah i'm trying to think <sighs> it began with a b it wasn't bombshell was it no yeah.
0: wasn't it there, the,
1: who's the who's the character in superior foes Actually, though, sorry, I've just said Bombshell. Bombshell was Lana from Ultimate Spider-Man. Bombshell's fantastic um, and would be... Screwball. Uh, Screwball, that was it. Screwball was basically a, um, a, a parkour YouTuber... Um, Villain, like,
2: yeah, who was yeah, just doing it for, know, the, kind of doing it for the likes.
1: Filming herself doing crimes. That would be great. Yeah. You could do that. Madam yeah. Web. <laughs> Menace. Beetle. That's
2: the, yeah, the female be the Beetle.
0: Host.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, so it makes so basically there isn't a there isn't a perspective we can find on this where it makes uh,
1: sense. The only, no, the that... only the reason I can think of is someone likes either redheads or seventies disco out. The
2: only one like, I can think of There's
1: no other reason to zero in on that character other than go, ooh, I like the look of her. The only one I can I think... think of
2: is, the only reason I can think of is that someone didn't realise she wasn't actually Mary Jane and thinks that it is Mary Jane. <laughs>
0: yeah or maybe or maybe i don't know someone's coming with a pitch or that they particularly like the dance slot the
2: thing is if you if you strip away in them if you i was gonna say if you strip away all of the like directly spider-man related concepts to jackpot what you have is someone who is apparently themed around a fruit machine (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) She she looks like, I'm just looking at the picture, it looks like Rogue has put on some some glitz and glamour and mm. put on a red wig.
1: I think it's it's one of these where, I think we've probably said it before about other characters where it's like, well, if you're going to take it that far away from, from what it was originally, why aren't you just doing an original one? And obviously the answer to that is there are all kinds of reasons why you go with existing IP that's already owned and that kind of thing. Even if you're changing most of the fundamentals of it, that doesn't even apply here because there's nothing to change, essentially. <laughs> and no one knows who she industry. is as well. You, yeah, exactly. You you are having to build this from scratch. And if you're having to build it from scratch, why are you using the existing name when it could be because anything? Because the IP is worthless, yeah. It's, that's Yeah, it's like, it's not one where the IP has even the tiniest, tiniest yeah, I do, measure. I,
2: I honestly, of, I genuinely don't think know. she's even appeared outside of comics, like not even in computer games, not cartoons, like nothing.
1: Mm. You know, my guess would be that someone will graft something onto this and a backstory, maybe she's from Las Vegas, maybe she's involved somehow with and turning on um, mobs who run casinos. Maybe she has luck-based powers, or you know, there's. You could take that name if you, like, if you said to someone who didn't know anything about this character, which is even people who've read the comics don't know anything about this character. But <laughs> if you said um, there's a there's a there's going to be a superhero movie called Jackpot. What do you think that's all about? People would come up with things, and a lot of people would hit on the same things, and it wouldn't surprise me if this movie was doing those things. But if it is, it will bear no relation to the character as she appeared in the comics. It's just. It baffles me. Just You could just make up your own, you know, and not have yeah, to pay more Yeah, and then, then
2: you would own it. So that's more yeah. valuable than being able to sort of notionally say, oh, yeah, this is a Spider-Man character. I know she appeared, like, a couple of times ten years ago, mm. but trust me, it's a Spider-Man character. This
1: doesn't even have... You know, all of the others, you know, you can say that the, the cost of... Um, having to pay marvel and and not owning it is offset by you can sell these on the association with spider-man and you can say to people this is a character from the comics you know you can say you can call it spider-man presents or spider-man universe silk or something like that and there will be enough of an established foothold there that you can do that but with jackpot it almost feels like she is a character that would have been made up just for the movies it's not like there's anything you can I mean there is stuff you can reprint but it's so pointless.
0: Well, I mean, it's not happening. So <laughs> we can we can at least uh, console ourselves with that. Um, let's move over to the small screen and Ruby Rose was cast as Batwoman and has subsequently had to quit Twitter because of the abuse. <sighs> she's received
1: but the interesting in thing about this casting. is that from the look of it it's not well no i'm sure she probably did get lots of abuse from ridiculous fanboys or you know p- guys who aren't actually enough of a comics fan to know that um the current version of batwoman has existed and been a lesbian since 2006 mm. um it actually seems that that what's worse and has got to it is a combination of um some people saying that she's too famous a lesbian and it should have been given to to a more emerging actor and other people saying she shouldn't have got the part because she's not a lesbian and she's had to turn around and go yes actually i am and
0: it's yeah it seems bizarre. hilarious to me that anyone would turn around and say that ruby rose is not gay enough for a gay role mm. um which i mean from from any of the roles i've seen her in on screen um it just seems insane i've also seen the criticism that Apparently, it's a problem that she's not a Jewish actress. I, I, I mean, I didn't know that Batwoman was Jewish, but it just, I mean, it, the, the, the surely,
1: and it's it, it's one of these where I don't feel it's my place to say this because neither am I. But I don't. In all the comics I've read, I don't recall it being particularly wrapped up in her identity. It's not like, like, yeah, she it's not like she's actually kissy bride, right?
0: I yeah. I just feel like there is. It's. Obviously, as you said, Seb, there is kind of like the the kind of the right wing. Oh, Batwoman! The the when this was announced, the kind of right wing internet going. Oh God, another one of these characters that now has to be reimagined mm. as a legend. Yeah, there was
1: a, there was a guy that I quoted because he would said, you know, oh, you can't have any straight white male heroes before. And it's like, well, if Batwoman was a straight white male hero, I think think we'd be having a problem in the first place. <laughs> I, I genuinely think that For you've the- got people like that who think that. I the Batwoman, the TV show, know, is someone going, let's do Batman, but as a woman. They don't realise that it is actually a distinct character with a distinct history.
0: Yeah, but, I, but we know that side of that side that's of that's the just complaints. The idiot, yeah. they're, they're just complete idiots. Yeah. Um, and But it's the other side that I find frustrating mm. because it feels like... It feels like they're looking to be angry about something and... Ruby Rose is an openly gay actress who's had to defend the fact that she's openly gay, which, I mean, James, you, you laughed about that phrase before, about <laughs> when, is, when is someone openly gay? Well, it's become an issue this week because apparently <laughs> Ruby Rose hasn't been open enough about it, which seems crazy, but apparently that was a problem to people. And then you've got a gay superhero and a gay actress being cast mm. in that role, And it's and it's. Oh, but what what can we be outraged about? Well, she's not Jewish as well. I think. Well, if you go out there and look for only Jewish lesbian less well known actresses to play a role, Mm. um, you're you're severely limiting the quality of actress you're going to get for the role. And actually, for for a role on a CW TV show, which best will in the world. You don't want the greatest actors. I think Ruby Rose is kind of like the perfect level for that. I think she is, <laughs> she is a a good a good actress. She's a good screen presence, but she's not mm. she's not incredible. I'm not like demanding that she leads. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> know, I, I saw her in *Armageddon*, and block she was definitely moves. not incredible. <laughs> yeah, but but I think she can probably hold her own as an as a kind of like iconic small screen presence and. Yeah, I, I just think can we can we like celebrate the wins rather than like having to drive this poor girl mm. off the internet because
1: she's not the right kind of gay for you. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, because it's like as you say, you know, we've got a gay, and I think I mean I don't know her full ethnic background, but I think she has Indigenous Australian background, so she's not like completely white. So you've got a a gay not completely white actress playing a, a lead superhero in a tv show um so you know we 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 already needed to be prepared for the backlash from the idiot comics should be white and straight people and instead mm. what we're finding is that we're getting a backlash from the she's not gay enough people and that's just again i'm not gay it's not my place but that's ridiculous <laughs> you know? Um my, my main thought as yeah. well was like, um, you know, my main thought with with casting Kate Kane would be, oh, you know, it'll be somebody with red hair because she's got such, you know, striking red hair as part of her red and black costume. And instead they've cast someone who both of whose names mean red. <laughs> Without the red hair, yeah. Which, as I say, but the names compensate. I think so. I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I think you know. I, 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 I c- don't know her. I haven't seen her in anything except after this announcement and before Ant Man. I saw the trailer for The Meg, but I don't think she even spoke in that trailer. I just saw her and went, "Oh, that's her." I think I recognised her from her tattoos actually. Um, but- it
0: has made The Meg, by the way, has made a huge amount of money. This <laughs> that doesn't this surprise weekend. me from having seen the so trailer probably- for it.
1: I don't. It doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs>
0: good time for her casting i mean as james said orange is the new black was probably her big breakout role outside of australia i think she began as a she she was a model for the, the large stretch of her early career mm. and then orange is the new black which she was in kind of a full season and then like cameo little guest spots here and there james that i think right?
2: she was in all of season three and then appeared once in season four and
0: that's yeah it. right okay mm. Um, and then uh, she was in John Wick Chapter Two as well, and is, is apparently turning back up for John Wick Three, um, and was in Pitch, per- Pitch Perfect Three, which I haven't seen. Um, but I thought she was quite good in John Wick. I think she was she was good in Orange is New Black. I don't think she's got, like got like tremendous range as an actress, but like I said, I think she's got screen presence and. I mean, that's probably about what you want for an actress playing batwoman
1: i mean we yeah and we we already talked about uh, previously about batwoman as a show in general so we don't need to go over that again but i think that you know the consensus is interesting you know that can be an interesting show and this is this is non-boring casting certainly so yeah you know. yeah yeah
0: uh okay um And one I'm just going to add, this as a little tidbit at the end, um, because it just add this to the long roster of films that DC may or may not be working, uh, working on. But it is being reported that a Supergirl movie is in development with Orin Uziel is working on a script who I believe is currently working on. um, I'm just bringing it up. On the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, uh, his previ- previous credits include 22 Jump Street and The Cloverfield Paradox. Um, so a really good movie and a really bad movie there. Um, oh, and in fact, he's the guy who wrote that viral Mortal Kombat movie that debuted on YouTube in 2010. Uh, so yeah, Supergirl movie may be in development, but I imagine DC kind of have every character in development mm. right now. And the character as big as Supergirl definitely
1: it won't happen but a Supergirl movie based on the um, Supergirl being super miniseries from last year by Mariko Tamaki and Joel Jones um, I'd be up for that but they probably wouldn't base it on that but that would be that's a very good basis for a standalone not too heavily connected to Superman Supergirl movie but then we've also got something else that's a good standalone not too heavily connected to Superman version of Supergirl or at least it was for a bit from what I gather (laughs) haven't seen it recently haven't seen
0: no I'm about a year a year out on Supergirl unfortunately um okay but that is all of the comic book movie and TV news for this week and we will take a short break now whilst we listen to the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp and then we'll be back with our discussion of the film our spoiler filled from the start (laughs) discussion of the film so how long have you been Ant-Man again? not long it just sort of happened
2: I could fight bad
0: guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time.
2: Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Hi. Like a partner. Dr. pin. I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy creepy ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. And now she wants to take over the world or whatever. Who would have believed that in your hour of need you would turn to us? Not me. I mean,
0: cause we robbed you. Do you remember? That's us. The only chance you got is both the deal. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up.
1: Follow
2: my lead. Oh. She seems more intense. Nope. Nope. You go low, I'll go high.
0: I have wings. Why would I go low? To die. I don't want to die
2: we didn't die hey what I miss we were just tiny
1: I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath how big did you get my record 21 feet you 65 feet 65
0: oh, oh, oh.
2: If you two are finished comparing sizes... 65.
0: Okay, so that was the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And um, before we dive in here, I would like to read from a pre-prepared statement (laughs) that I have uh, really been forced to write. Um, I would like to make it clear from the outset that I deeply regret having to make this statement, but nevertheless, I feel strongly compelled to do so and appreciate all of your patience in this matter. For over three and a half years, I've been podcasting with James Tiberius Hunt. (laughs) I like him as a person. I respect him as a fellow podcaster. And I have regularly trusted him to explain to me things about comic books that as a movie fan, I just don't understand. I have even learned to tolerate the strange way his brain is wired when it comes to Pixar movies, the same way he tolerates my disregard for Alan Moore's happiness. (laughs) However, whilst I reiterate my respect for Mr Hunt, I must take serious issue with one of his latest opinions. Nay, I must decry it. It rattled me to my very core, and I will fight to my dying breath, or to the end of this podcast, in my quest to expose its lack of merit. (laughs) On 10.18pm on August 2nd, 2018, (laughs) in reference to Ant-Man and the Wasp, the verified Twitter account, (laughs) at James Hunt, verified, tweeted the following, quote, I'll say this about it. I can understand why no one talks about it more. It's maybe the first Marvel movie that's just there. Well, I put it to you, at James Hunt, that maybe it is you who is just there. For Ant-Man and the Wasp is indeed there, but just. No, that is unjust. <laughs> Peyton Reed's sequel is delightful, and I demand that you explain yourself and now open the floor for you to do so whilst I prepare my <laughs> Yours, Joseph David, Luigi Cunningham.
2: I wondered why you favourited that tweet several like weeks after it existed.
0: <laughs> explain
2: <laughs> yourself. That's
1: going to be fun, then. <laughs> can so, I just go just leave you two <laughs>
2: <laughs> the thing is right I I went to see Ant-Man 2 with my friend and we sat and there the watching the film in maybe Great, yeah. a third empty cinema so it wasn't like there was tons of atmosphere I think between us we laughed mm-hmm. about three or four times and uh, like it was the first Marvel film where I didn't feel like the jokes were funny enough to get away with the story being bad. The story wasn't good, good enough to get away with the jokes being bad. And there was no part of it where I was like getting the, the comic book thrill of seeing something that I love realized on screen. All I got was uh, that was the thing they did in the first movie, but more so.
1: See now you've made me angry, and I don't feel anywhere near as strongly about this as Joe. But, but your attempt at defending that opinion has made me really angry.
2: I just I sat there so, for uh, two hours thinking, I wonder when this is going to get good, and then it didn't.
1: Because right, okay, so I'm sorry. I don't but understand. This, this this movie has flaws, and oh, it has flaws because of the first one. But to say that one of its problems is that it's not funny enough is bollocks. Because that's the main thing it's, it's better got than going better for. How it.
2: many of the jokes it's better in Am- in *Amman* Am- too? Sorry. Consisted of aside, okay, leave I'm aside the number of times that people were asked to improvise 30 lines and they pick the funny one. Which doesn't work outside of the context of having thirty shit ones to compare it to. It how many the of, funniest of the jokes
1: thing that Paul how many of the in jokes this entire franchise involved
2: someone saying something and it cutting away to Paul Rudd looking confused, because it must have done that about eight times. <laughs> like, let's have an action, let's have a shot, Paul, of you going, huh? And we'll just cut I would that like into to the beginning, though,
0: James. Sorry. So, I, I, what I would like to dig into is, I can understand not liking this movie. I don't, obviously, I liked the movie. It is better than the first one because. It starts at the start and is good from the start and goes all the way through to the end at a pretty much consistent level. Which the first one, if you, no, if you there, there is a if,
1: there is a major major fundamental problem with this film that makes it not as good as the first one.
0: <laughs> okay, well we can we can get to that. But my my reasoning behind it being good is it doesn't have that weird, inconsistent opening 45 minutes that the first Ant-Man has. I don't think the first one has that. The
1: The first one's done from the beginning. Yeah, it's a long time. The first first one waits...
0: The first one waits forty-five minutes to allow Paul Rudd to be funny, and then, and also has that kind of that weird like. How are you criticizing film allowing
1: Paul Rudd to be funny?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no. My point is, it doesn't allow Paul Rudd to be funny for forty-five minutes. It's not until he starts training to be Ant Man. Baskin Robbins always knows. It's a solid scene, but generally uh, he's not getting to do the comedy in that first scene. Anyway, first let's let's not argue that my other my other point on it let's is the, the weird the weird inconsistent stuff about is he a bad guy, is he a good guy, the movie can't quite True, figure that's it a, out. That is a problem and never yeah. really reconciles. Yeah. Anyway, what I can't understand from your tweet, James, is that it's just there. I don't understand what that means. Because I I don't think you mean this. But I think there is um, an interpretation of that tweet that is that I would uh, argue very, very strongly. Can against. I can
1: I offer might something that might not be what James meant, but is a, th- a feeling that I had throughout it that I wonder if it, if it is kind of what James was getting at, but that I felt was the case, which is I really enjoyed this while I was watching it. But while I was watching it, apart from a couple of specific moments, I had a feeling of. I don't think I'm going to remember a lot of this film once it's finished. Um, I, I, I found it, per, I found it perfectly and really enjoyable throughout. But I do say I don't know if this James, if this is what to put words in your mouth, if this is what you meant by just there. But that was what it felt like to me for stretches. Was this is doing what it's doing really well? But it is not. I'm not sitting here going, "Wow, I can't wait to watch this again."
2: I mean, basically, all I thought was it was it was competently made. F- for the most part, it was competently made. But there was nothing inventive or interesting about it. It, mm, it
1: see, was just uh, over no, no, when is, it was over. There is stuff that's inventive and interesting about nah. it. Nah. And it doesn't... I, I, I definitely disagree with the notion that it just does a load of the same stuff as the first film. Because I remember when we talked about it with the trailer yes. and the Hello Kitty bit. And we thought the trailers made it look like it was doing that. And... I think there are bits where it does, and those bits tend to be the weakest bits of the film, but I think it does a lot of inventive stuff with the the tech and the idea of the shrinking and stuff that the first film did not do, and which is a lot more fun.
0: And there was uh, a lot of stuff that I thought it was going to lean into a lot more, like replay the greatest hits of the first movie. Yeah. And I think there's only one time where it does that and actually comes up with a, an inventive way to, make, to, to put a little you Are you,
2: are you talking it. about are, the Louis sequence? Because I spent the whole film going, yeah, like, yes. I really hope they do the Louis thing again. And then they did it again. And I was like, I really wish they hadn't done it again.
1: Ah uh, no, see, I mean, I was going to wait until we got to it, but l- hell, we're on it. I really like that they only did it once. They didn't make it a recurring mm-hmm. thing. They did it once, and they did a really good one. And they did it once, and that was it. And it was a bit long, maybe, but it was. I was laughing throughout that. It, I it was. was not I would have got great. rid
0: of the. I would have got rid of the little Morrissey bit in the middle. Um, that was that. Fell flat for I don't think
1: Americans op- understand that referencing Morrissey has a weight of meaning that um, they <laughs> uh, not I aware just, of now. Just
0: even, even so, I think it kind of killed the yeah. the momentum of the scene. Uh, but the opening, the opening, I, I love the idea of tell us where Scott is now, and luis interpreting that as okay, I'm going to tell you where he is emotionally. <laughs> and I thought that was a really funny hook to build that scene around. I think Michael Pena. Nails it, and this time actually getting Evangeline Lilly yeah. in her Ant Man 1 wig to deliver the dialogue <laughs> that she delivers, literally referencing the wig. And and I, I, thought, I that, just I thought, thought that was that, great. Yeah. Yeah, seeing seeing that very kind of stern, self serious character delivering that dialogue yeah. was really, really cool. Okay, that one, um,
2: the. Evangeline Lilly bit is the only bit of that sequence that I laughed at. The rest of it, I was just going like, why are you wasting our time on this bad joke? <laughs> I thought, it yeah.
0: thought it was funny. I and, thought it was funny. And I think I, why I thought it was funny as well is because it's, I, and I think a lot of Ant-Man and the Wasp is, is bedded in this. And I can see, like, for example, I know one of the controversial scenes is going to be the Janet in scott's body scene how is that going um, to controversial because i think a lot of people hated it well, <laughs> I think, those people so <laughs> it was silly i know i know guardians of the galaxy got a lot of uh, volume two particularly got a lot of stick with people saying it's gone overboard there's too many jokes and they undercut the emotional moments and ant-man all of its emotional moments literally has moments where they're pausing to tell a joke so like the Uh, The scene where the three of them are tied up by Ava and um, Larry Fishburne, um, Bill Foster, and the phone rings and we get that diversion (laughs) with Scott's daughter, which I think is funny, but that's in the middle of the explanation, the entire scene explaining what ghost origin is and why she is the way she is. And that is some of the really heavy emotional stuff in the movie. Similarly, um, the Janet Janet in um scott's body sequence that's this big emotional reunion but you're watching paul rudd channel michelle pfeiffer I mean, for it
1: i, I no it's one can have any criticism about, about a scene in which for about three solid minutes paul rudd is pretending to be michelle pfeiffer um, it
0: just i and what i loved um and i was actually chatting to um friend of the podcast brendan Connolly about this um uh, online, because uh, he, he'd he messaged me and told me that it was one of his favourite Marvel movies. And I think what we kind of ag- agreed on was what we really liked was that it sets up its emotional stuff, it sets up its comedic stuff, and a lot of the time it kind of sets up something emotional and pays it off for a joke, and a lot of the time it sets up a joke and pays it off with something emotional. And I I thought it was really smart how it did that it kind of it kept me on my toes the whole way through um and and also i think what i really appreciated about this movie is how kind of neat and tidy it was it's the first marvel movie i can remember for a long time that just goes this is where our character starts and this is where he ends. This is where our uh, other character starts. This is where she ends. This is where this relationship starts. This is where it ends. And that is the arc of this movie. If we never see these characters again, that's that's your movie right there. Obviously, your post-credit sequence throws a mm. grenade into that. But the actual movie itself, I think, is just... And this is this is what I was referring to with, I think, the interpretation you could make of James's tweet, which is... It just being there kind of means... Does that mean it's its own thing? It isn't interacting with the wider Marvel universe? The stakes on is the is the Earth going dis- to be destroyed? Who's going to get their hands on this Infinity Stone? What I liked was this was a story about these characters, um, about what was happening to these characters. The stakes were all personal. And whilst on some uh, sometimes it unfolds on a slightly bigger scale in San Francisco, it's just all about them and i and and i i loved it i've seen it twice already i saw it on thursday and i went back i said to my wife and th- we we'd gone out for a walk on saturday morning i was like i kind of want to see ant-man again before we do the podcast and she was like i i mean i liked it but i don't joe i'm not like you i don't want to see a movie twice in three days and i was like can i go on my own so i drove into town on my own and i watched ant-man and the wasp for a second time and i had a blast
2: see my like i'm i'm fine with low stakes i'm fine with character stories like that definitely was nothing no like no part of my problem with this movie was related to that one of the yeah. problems i had with it is that no character has an arc not an emotional arc they all turn up they say i want to do this thing they do that thing and then they're done and they don't change in any way the only relationship that changes is that scott and hope get together again By doing exactly the same journey they did in the first film, which is we hate each other. Actually, no, we don't. We like each other again.
0: That's the only change to a status quo. But I don't think there is no there is no. Well, and also Janet returning, I guess. But there is I don't agree that there are that those characters don't have an emotional arc. I think you you can. What is
2: Scott's emotional arc in the film?
0: Well, Scott is determined not to let his daughter down again, and he has repeatedly let her down. So to get through that movie and be thrown into a situation against his will and be an innocent bystander and manage to get back... I'm going to have to disagree with you on that, Joe,
1: because... I'm sorry, but letting his daughter down is absolutely not a stake for Scott in this film. Nothing Scott can do at this point would let Cassie down. The f- this film makes that abundantly clear. <laughs> she knows about him, she knows what he's like, and she knows that he's yeah, breaking that, she his curse to go out and be a superhero. Like, literally <laughs> idolizing him. Yeah, if if he goes to prison, she'll know that he's gone to prison for being a superhero. Yeah. He absolutely yes, th- will never let her down.
0: <laughs> but not for but that's not the way that he would view it. If he was if he was then sent to prison for 20 years, it wouldn't matter that she thought, "Oh, he was Ant-Man, that's fine." His his stakes are staying out of prison his stakes aren't being caught by the excellent they are, but I, yeah Park. i just
1: i just i don't yeah he i just i don't think he has the worry that he has in the first film of i need well, to, that's, i need that, her to be proud of me because she, but she is but that's because
0: he's not <laughs> because he's not the protagonist anymore
1: yeah which you, <laughs> well okay this
0: brings I me think, to my next I my think my next Frank
1: problem. has a bit of an arc um in terms of his learning more to trust other people, which was also kind of his arc in the first film. But <laughs> oh, the point is in the second film say. he hasn't really grasped it. Um, and then so. he
2: ends the film by doing the thing himself. So it turns out he doesn't no, but, trust other people to do it. But his he work.
1: has to, no, but he has to trust other people to, to support him and let him do it. Like he it's about letting other people into his life emotionally. Well let
2: me let me get to and my I second think it's more, it's... point about the second thing I hate about this film is that Evangeline Lily's character is unrecognizable from the first movie, and especially what? in her relationship with her father, there is no continuity in any way. Like same actress turned no, up, re- but different reconciled. in every possible respect. How is it? How different? is it the same? What character trait carries movie, over? Like for a start. In, In the, the first f- film, they hate well,
1: each I t- other. Completely. I mean, I can tell you.
0: Like, haven't no, interacted no, 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 with all your you the first film. You're forgetting, James, you're misremembering that. In the first movie, they pretended to hate each other and were actually working together to infiltrate Cross's yeah. lab the whole time
1: and there is no there is resentment on her part it's not out and out hatred but yeah she is playing it up in order to get in mm. with Darren Cross and they are working and they, together and the issues and that they, resolve they have over are the largely the resolved movie. at the end of the first film not completely resolved yeah. but largely resolved I mean they're
2: completely resolved by this yeah. film to the point of not being an issue in well, the they slightest are. because
1: what happened at the <laughs> yeah. end of the first film he took the final step and said yes you're right I've been holding you back I think it's time for you to be the Wasp at, by the start mm. of this film she has been operating as the wasp as well. For quite some time,
0: yeah, for three years, two years in Civil War, three years since the end of the first Ant Man, yeah, and yeah, because and his, yet, his and they, have, they have that up. big emotional he's, he's confrontation as well two, in the yeah. first one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure I can respect character developments of that magnitude happening off screen.
0: But it's no, no they it's, didn't it's, happen it's off her, screen. It's
1: her cutting loose. It's it's the character that that she was in the first film, but was restraining herself more from being, um. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't agree. I, 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 I see it as, I see it as recognisably the same person, but a person who's in a very different place in this film from the place she's in in the first film.
0: Um, and uh, so the one, the one criticism I was listening to, uh, Empire's spoiler special uh, about this film, which James, you will probably um, find quite amusing, <laughs> there wasn't that much in the way of spoilers that they could talk about until they got to the end credits. Um. And similarly, they were split on the pod- on the film the same way that we are. Uh, I think we've got the balance in the in the in the correct <laughs> um, <laughs> in the correct ratio on this podcast. No, um, I mean, I, I think I think I'm. I wouldn't say I'm you're, quite you're halfway just, between just, you.
1: I'm slightly more on your side. But yeah, it's more. It's more. I certainly don't think it's better than the first one, and I certainly didn't love it as much as it you is, did. Man. But also, so far, I'm not agreeing with James's specific. I mean, criticism. the thing is, like,
2: I don't want to give the impression that I came out thinking, "Wow, that was dog shit." It was more, I came out thinking, like, "Wow, I was totally unmoved by any aspect of that movie."
0: Um, my point on um, the, the point on the Empire podcast about uh, Wasp about um, Hope Van Dyne was that whilst that she is kind of the lead of this movie from kind of an action point of view and that the main stakes of the movie or the main plot thrust of the movie are driven by her motivations that the movie doesn't allow her to have a life outside of her father. Um, so obviously with you could list any other superhero but I mean Scott's probably the best example with Scott in the first movie, you get to meet his daughter, his ex wife, her his ex wife's husband. You get to meet his his friends with Michael Pena and uh, the other two guys yeah. uh, who I f- I forget their names but are great. Um, <laughs> Ti and David Dalmastian, um, mm-hmm. and um, you you know you kind of you kind of get this idea of who he is outside of Ant Man, whereas. What you get from hope in this movie is just wasp. And the rebuttal to that, which I think Chris Hewitt did deliver on that podcast, and the one that I kind of came to my mind as well is, I think that's this character. i really I really do think that is this character. Now, it's a shame that she can't have friends and she can't have other relationships and other interests. but I think it just it suits this character so perfectly that she is so laser focused on this one task and you get the impression with the opening sequence being the chat between Hope and Hank when she still has the Bob um, that, that that getting Janet back has been what they've been trying to do for three years now. Um, And that this singular focus has now nailed down into this two, three day period where, all she is concerned about is getting I her mean back. the thing is and,
2: if i if I was to believe that I would need to see it on screen I think if that is if like if your thing is she's been obsessed with this and it's hurting her the rest of her life show show us don't try and make us infer it by just doing nothing else with it
0: no i i I agree it would be nice to see more from hope's life. What I'm saying is I think it makes sense for this story. And a story which I think is... Normally I would kind of uh, welch a little bit at that. But what I do like is that it is her story. She is the action lead. She is the protagonist. Um, And and I think Evangeline Lilly is absolutely fantastic in this. Um, I I, I am willing to allow it because of all the other good stuff that they do with her, really. Um, and, And I've got to say, the action in this movie, if you compare... The first action scene with the wasp fighting all of Walton Goggins' goons in the restaurant, and then fighting Ghost, and you compare that to, let's say, for example, the final fight in Black Panther. Now, I think Black Panther is, you know, probably a better movie than this, all being said and done. Um, <laughs>
2: probably. <I think>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it really I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's closer than a lot of people would would uh, believe. Um, but yeah, but well, but because because of stuff like that, because I think the action in this movie when the movie does kick into action mode is really exemplary. I think the fight choreography is fantastic. I think the the stuff that they do with wasp, the kind of the way that that character moves through the action scenes is i I just loved watching it and I think it was it was partially because watching a female superhero who is kind of built like Evangeline Lilly is built is something that I don't really think I've seen it was it, it was very different to what say like Gal Gadot was doing in Wonder Woman I don't think I've seen someone fighting the way she was fighting and I don't think I've seen that with the inventiveness of the action that Peyton Reed brings to things I I, I really really love the action sequences and I I can't remember the last Marvel movie where I loved them not for those reasons anyway I've loved some of that like I love some of the design in Doctor Strange um but normally I think that the hand to hand combat the close quarters stuff is what Marvel action tends to do badly and this time it was a it was a
1: huge huge
2: I mean challenge. on it, I, I, yeah honestly I, I
1: think I think that kitchen fight was uh really great as well um with the two of them um i, I yeah, yeah, yeah i don't feel that that stuff is stuff again that i will particularly hold on to like when it comes to think to like if you're talking about action from this film the stuff i'm going to remember is shrinking cars um but yeah which is also which is fantastic brilliant. and we'll we talk about that in a bit more deal, detail later but i do think when i if i if you make me think about it I would agree that watching the fight stuff, there was well choreographed fight stuff that that read well, and that you know, I, I, something that I think this film made abundantly clear, in case we still weren't quite certain of it from the first film, is Peyton Reed is good at making Ant Man movies. That is unquestionable. Like, I I, I think yeah. he's the right person to be doing these movies. He gets them. It's not just... He didn't look into what was left over from Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish with the first one, I think.
0: And hot take, I think Michael... uh Sorry, I'm looking at Michael Pena. I think Peyton Reed is good at making movies. Um, and this is, for me, another good one. Um, and I... I, I, I would be interested to see what you guys think about this. I think this movie makes a concerted effort and I think it achieves what it sets out to do in caring about its female characters, giving them agency, giving them stuff to do. Um, I, I think it's something as simple as neither of them are in the, in the movie very much, but Bobby Cannavale and G- Judy Greer are both allowed to be funny in their sequences. Um, and uh, I think... Um, his daughter in this one, uh, who's been recast, Abbey Ryder Fortson, is delightful. I loved her every time she showed mm-hmm. up. Can um, just, sorry,
1: you just said she's been recast. You mean she's been recast for Infinity War as an older character for Avengers. Avengers Four,
2: she's been recast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, did, has you think, she? did you Is think? Did you think? Did you think she was recast oh, I in this it was film? Com- do you know what yeah, it was So did I. And so I looked it up afterwards. I thought it was a different actress from the first film, really, because she looked so different and sounded so different. I didn't realise it was yeah, the same actress in the first film. Just
0: must be so significantly older that I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: yet. yeah, she's she's ten now. Just looking at Wikipedia, so she must be what about? Oh, six? Oh
0: God, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at am I'm looking at the pictures of her from the first Ant Man, and yeah, just I wouldn't have. No,
1: even yeah, I that that I, I assumed because do you know what I was looking up? I knew that she'd been that they're doing. An older cassie in infinity war yeah, which I, let's, yeah, we're I'd gonna have that, fun yeah. talking about that at the end of this podcast um but uh i was gonna say is she gonna be the first character to have been played by three different actors in the mcu but she's not because it's the same <laughs> actor for these two films yeah.
0: how old is the actress that they've cast 16 for avengers Four. 16
1: hmm that's interesting mm-hmm. isn't it? Well, well let's let's that. talk about it later because i've got thoughts let's
0: definitely get to that <laughs> um <laughs> so i i mean i don't know if we want to do we want to go back to one of the things that james doesn't like about well it, can i, I just talk about the action things that i do like briefly about
2: it? is that yeah one of the things about the way i watch movies is i don't ever feel particularly wowed by action in any context like people came out of mission impossible fallout saying how like it was the greatest action film they'd ever seen. I only really connect with action when the action is wrapped up in character. So like having a well-choreographed fight ah. sequence doesn't mean anything to me.
0: But I think you would probably notice it if it was bad, right? You I, you notice I, I noticed bad action, Panther?
2: yeah. I noticed it at the end of Black Panther, but also I didn't care because the char- I cared about the characters. Where I did notice it was Batman Begins that was one film where I was watching the fights and not invested in the slightest. Um, And Ant-Man 2, I had the same feeling of, well, this is a well-put-together sequence, but I don't... I'm I'm not feeling anything because the action itself isn't impressing me. And also, I found the cinematography was more interesting in the first movie, like, the way they did a lot of sequences from Ant perspective. In this one, I just felt like I was watching regular-sized people disappear and then reappear.
0: I think they're doing something different obviously with the with the size stuff in in this one, and I would use that as the rebuttal to you saying that this movie does the same stuff. Well that's the again. that's the one because thing it this...
2: does it doesn't do again, which I liked about the first one, which was the ant perspective <laughs> stuff.
0: Well the the movie, I think this time around is going for that obviously, we we should just say straight out: the science in this movie is just a, just such a ridiculous leap into nonsense that you have just got to either go with it or don't I did go, not with, go it. with it. <laughs> but so the, the movie this time is more it, like the stuff that they're doing with the shrinking and enlarging is more the fun of like watching a building shrink and enlarge and or watching a car and everyone inside it get smaller so you can kind of play with the stakes that that way and i think the i think maybe the small stuff from what i remember of the test footage was something that edgar wright was really interested mm-hmm. in and maybe that had survived because i was gonna say i think i think that probably survived the story process right left well i think yeah the, the action the action um stuff, the, the kind of, like, CG would have been built probably months before, started to be worked on months before, because did Egg right Wright leave six weeks before shooting? Yeah, was it was very started. soon before shooting, wasn't it?
1: And that whole yeah. thing in the bath, hadn't that been done as test footage already? No,
2: there was different test footage. No, yeah, the but the point footage... is that
1: sequence had been done, it was, yeah. it was viewed as I, a... Yeah, I like imagine like that sequence that scene wouldn't... kind of had to be in there because it's the thing people were expecting in the same way as the car sequence in Deadpool was what they had done as the test footage. So the,
0: the Edgar you know. Wright test footage that I remember specifically was part of the heist stuff with like uh, him dodging yeah. bullets. Oh it, uh,
1: it wasn't uh, it wasn't the bath stuff. The thing. Okay. Yeah, well,
0: but yeah, no, you might, you, you might be right there, Seb. That might been out there as well. Um, I mean, if, if but, you yeah. just
1: if, just if you if you're talking about those stuff from the small perspective, which admittedly we didn't get a lot of, but but shrinking Ant Man shrinking down small and flying with ants did give us the something that I saw on Twitter and didn't get because it popped up before I'd seen it. But does anybody else follow the Simpsons Films Twitter account? Um, no. no, which uses scenes from The Simpsons to represent movies. And it, it had Ant-Man and the Wasp 2018, Dyer, Peyton Reed, with a gif of Homer trying to eat the uh, crisps while all of the uh, puppies are jumping up and stealing them. <laughs> uh, and I didn't get that at the time, but then I got it as soon as I saw the film, because that bit with the seagulls um, <laughs> <it> was just... <laughs> I feel like, and the silence tells me that you've both forgotten what bit I'm talking about. No, I know what
2: bit you're talking about. No, no,
1: no, no.
0: I I, I laughed at it. The the Antonio Bandera sequence. Actually, that was (laughs) great. Not enough puns for my liking, actually. I could have done with more puns. Mm. More ant puns would have been fantastic. (laughs) But um, we can't have everything, can we, James?
2: You can interpret my silence (laughs) on that as disdain.
0: Do Do you agree with my point? I feel like we moved past it. Do you agree with my point that this movie does right by its female characters because i don't think we get a chance to say that very often yeah
2: no but. this is definitely um, one where the balance feels a lot if not perfect definitely in the right direction
1: it, yeah it it does right by some of them it, it doesn't do right by one of them and it's my biggest problem with the film
0: let's go into it are you talking about i'm just going to guess you're talking about ghost yeah because we haven't
1: talked about it yet I was. I,
0: I have. I have a problem with the ghost. Stuff.
1: I will tell you what. Tell me what your problem is, then, and I'll tell you what my problems are.
0: Can I start just by saying something that I really liked about Ghost? Go on. Which was Hannah John Cane? Yeah, she's, she's great,
1: I, unquestionably. That
0: her her opening scene where well her opening dialogue scene where she te- where she the mask is off. Well, the suit is off, and Paul Rudd's tied up, and she's kind of saying. I want to find out what's in your brain. And you kind of, like, you get this sense of victim, but on the edge and could snap. And, uh oh, is she a full-on villain or is she... Should I be rooting for her in some way? Can't quite tell. And I just thought there was this really, really interesting energy from her. Um, the movie obviously decides that it doesn't want her to be as much of a villain as... A standard superhero movie would have Peyton Reed talks a lot about Elmore Leonard Being his being his inspiration <laughs> for this And like lo- there is lots of crime capery tropes So there has to be kind of little antagonists Kind of here there and everywhere And it's very episodic this movie There's like here is something that we need to overcome And now we need to overcome that And now we need to overcome that And here's the end Um, So I understand why she wasn't a huge part So the issue I had was given how sympathetic she actually was how little our heroes
1: actually cared <laughs> it
0: it felt it felt a little bit
1: i'm yeah i kind it, of it made, i've seen that as a criticism but i think it kind of goes both ways i think i think it's true and it's a point that i've seen made that surely there should have been a point earlier in the film where one of the three of them goes on goes hang on we could probably help you with this yeah equally (laughs) yeah right well one of the two of them because hank pin is a twat (laughs) well that's anyway no i mean my i mean playing into my broader issues with the character i think there were a couple of things here firstly that yeah i agree that that she's really good but i wanted her to be given better than this uh and that's part of my problem now on more I i
0: think sorry go on I think more, maybe even rather than better, yeah, just um, more, more of, more of what she got at the, at the start.
1: But I think, okay, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm aware that what I'm about to do is that annoying kind of criticism that I have had a go at in the past, but also am sometimes guilty of, which is, I wish they had done this instead, or I was expecting this. <laughs> but from the trailers. And I think we talked about this at the time of the trailers. What I was anticipating was them to take some of the fundamentals of the character of Ghost from the comics of being this um, anarchic, anti-capitalist figure who you could kind of get on board with what they're doing and sort of someone who who makes a really good villain for somebody like Tony Stark... Um, and that they were going to make that a gender flip version who would be really cool and kick ass and you would just like, you know, think that they were absolutely brilliant and possibly side with them. We didn't get any of that. Instead, we got a really depressing, sad woman uh, who's just really angry at everybody and wants to kill people. And, and I was who was also with that. a
2: victim of her powers.
1: Well, she was a victim of her powers, and that's fair enough. And I think there is, as I say, as you say, you know, there is that thing of you sympathise with her because, you know, yeah, her power, it's a, it's the electro thing of, you know, she is a victim rather than a villain. Equally, the problem that I had was that I think particularly at the end, and when things resolve at the end, the film invites you to sympathise with her plight. And I do to an extent, but also there's never a point where you, I, I think it's true that you don't have the hero's Trying to help her, but you also she is persistent in her desire to kill Janet Pym, a woman that she's never met, in order to survive. Instead of considering alternatives,
0: I think the thing, as far as I'm concerned, is that she is a victim and a villain, and she coexists as both of those throughout the movie. So for me, I didn't, I I didn't by any stretch think the execution of Ghost was great or was the best thing that the film was doing, but I understood her, her as a character. Which was just someone who has been a victim and is turning to villainy because, as far as she's concerned, that's her last resort.
1: I think that's right, she, but I think it's she, just she she doesn't come across as being very nice, and like there's no sort of she's a villain. Well, yeah, but there's no sort of germ <laughs> uh, within of see, she she would be a better person if she if she wasn't a victim of these circumstances. Uh, no, no, I, see, I, the problem see, the problem I, I, I had think... as well
2: is that throughout all of that. Like, even when they say, we can help you, she basically yeah. shrugs it off, says, fuck you That's guys. That's the thing.
1: They... She, exactly like, yes, messes no, up. No, 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 saying saying she completely
2: fucks up, like, downtown San Francisco. And by the end of the film, apparently escapes justice because they go, oh, you know, you're in a bad situation. It's like, all those people she injured and, you know, all that yeah. property damage she caused, that was not her in a bad place. Like, you can't shrug that off. She needs comeuppance for that like i don't yeah. i don't sympathize uh, right. to that so, extent with uh, her because she ignored not, the help I, I, she this,
0: is, this
1: is one that i'm with james on
0: <laughs> the turning down the help i think that is inherent to a character who has been taken in by shield with the promise of help and it never arrived she has gone out with the explicit intention to use janet to fix her her um whatever you call it a mole- quantum molecular nonsense. <laughs> and someone stepping in and going no 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 don't not... do that we want to save no, but wait, it's not don't wanna, do we we that we want
1: to don't kill this person
0: yeah no yeah so it's it's not don't kill her we're going to save her and then we'll fix you and she's going no fuck that people have offered to help me before it didn't work I'm not going to wait around for you to maybe save this yeah, person. Yeah, but the thing so is, She, she could wait around, Foster and saying, if it doesn't
1: work, she could kill her. After it's
2: literally that. Bill Foster <laughs> saying, like, the one guy who could help us has just offered to help us. Don't kill his wife, and they'll sort you out.
1: Yeah, and she goes, "No, I'm going to do it anyway." Ah, uh, but even Bill seems conflicted by it. Bill. Oh, what, by the way,
0: I love, I love Bill as this kind of this guy who clearly cares for Ava, but it's just this bumbling bloke kind of in her vicinity who wants to help her but has no (laughs) kind of concepts of how he can do that he keeps being like uh what if we do it another way and she goes no like no i'm doing it this way oh but what like well what what do you suggest bill we just kind of trust these people no i don't trust them though I, i i got the character i i i thought she i certainly thought that her internal logic made sense to me and i found i found her sympathetic enough as a character who was kind of going i i just don't want to die that i bought them i i i, I came out of this movie going i could see a future movie where ghost is in a heroic role and i would be fine with that but <sighs> Any, anyone I willing to kill th- someone th- else th- anyone no enthusiastic
2: about killing someone else certainly no. cannot get to a heroic place without some severe rehabilitation
0: I do not I don't like, think she was enthusiastic not, about it of course she, was. She, she, was, killing, like, she was she was like she was happy to
2: do it put it that way it was she was like well uh, it's her or me so it's, a- it's gonna be her like that's that's enthusiastic yeah.
0: enough I think Captain America has made those choices throughout these films it's
2: different no I don't think Captain America would walk up to someone unsuspecting and kill them the different, on the basis of uh, the it's difference them is or me.
0: the difference is it is someone ostensibly heroic in this movie in Janet who is the person on the other side. Well of it. by this point we've not but really I think seen I, any I really do of think...
2: Janet aside from that one flashback seasons. yeah.
0: It's funny that the flip side of this was me being concerned that they didn't care enough for her. Because I just thought like at some point if they just went, Hey, look, let's let's explain this very carefully to you. Because eventually they what 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 Hank kind of says is, we'll sort her out afterwards. It's fine they don't really they don't really like dignify her with like any compassion or empathy they just kind of go no fuck off we're doing our own <laughs> stuff and then and then and then we can help and i just i the the scene that sums it up for me is right at the very end where the the vehicle is coming back out of the tunnel and hope is on the is on the in the way of the car then Ghost's in the way of the car, and Ant-Man becomes really big and swats Hope out of the way, and it just rams into Ghost and slams her into the wall at the back. I was like, Scott, buddy, there's two <laughs> girls there, man. Like, could you not... Could to be fair, there are two and girls,
2: and one of whom of has the ability to phase through things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fair, fair enough, okay. But was she wearing a suit?
2: She can do it anyway. She doesn't need the suit.
0: That's literally... No, the suit just the, gives her a bit the more suit control. Helps her- yeah. The suit helps her control it, so maybe she wouldn't be able to phase without the suit.
1: No, she can phase without the suit, because she turns yeah. up... Well, I mean, she, goes, she's the oh, problem is she the can't suit. not
0: phase without the suit. Yeah. I mean, she didn't, she didn't phase through that tunnel. She got
1: whacked by the... Well, uh, no, also, I mean, to be honest, my vehicle. argument was more one of whom is someone who literally up until this moment has done nothing but try to kill them. <laughs> I'm 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 kind of all right with that. I mean it's it's the thing of, you know, I uh, I I don't I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you if you've tried to kill me. <laughs> well, I think I'm team Ghost here. <laughs> I mean, I just I wanted it to be I I expected to go into this film and for it to, you know, be another film that that um realized that the way to solve the villain problem was to give us a villain that we can feel conflicted about and <laughs> sympathize with. And in Ghost's Case, I expected it to be because she would be really cool and also have some potentially quite left wing sentiments, <laughs> you know, kind of. being. Yeah,
2: I, I, was, I was I was really there. looking forward but, to seeing Ghost and the fact that they cut all yeah. of that stuff and replaced it with something basically like there was n- very little, if anything, in common with the comics version of Ghost, which was very disappointing.
1: Yeah,
0: which was fine.
1: It's fine. Is it, they're yeah. allowed to do no it. It's knows. fine.
2: But like my expectations for Ghost yeah. were way high, and what I got was so far below them.
1: And it, and it's like you you know the the elements were in place to do that. And admittedly, it's not what this film was doing. So you know this film isn't about Hank Pym's corporation. So there's nothing for that version of Ghost to attack. But well, I mean, it's sort in of in terms of the actor and the, and the design and the powers and the way that they realised the powers, which I think worked really well. Um, yeah, the potential was there to do something.
2: It does. Um, it does if sort they
1: want of... to, I, I won't object if they want to have Ghost show up as an Iron Man villain in future, having changed tack a bit, having come to terms with her powers. No, 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 and, no, no, no uh, a Decided hero, to a attack hero. the corporate machine.
2: I mean, it does sort a of hero. do the thing of having them upset about. Hank Pym's like corporate past, but they give all that material to Bill Foster, yeah. So, uh,
0: Michael Severus, though, plays her dad, that was fun. Ramses from the tick showing, up. oh, that's as, who uh... he is.
1: I knew I recognized him, and I didn't know what I recognized him from. But actually, yeah. seeing as we're on the subject of recognizing people, when Divy and Lad were turned up, and I was like. Oh, yes, I did really this. looks like the guy from Detectorists, but it's not going to be him uh, in a Marvel film. So no, I didn't, it's not him, I didn't it's, do it's just that, someone Seb. who looks like him. And, it is, and he's got more dialogue in this film than he has in the entirety of Detectorists.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I did that. I, I sat there going, where do I know that guy from? I know it's a British sitcom. I know it's... I turned to Laura and say, "You seeing Gavin and Stacey at
1: some point?" Because <laughs> Laura
0: watches Gavin and Stacey on repeat, um, and I just I couldn't place it. And then we were walking out, and I was just like, "Do you know what? You're just gonna have to look it up on IMDb." And when she said it, I was like.
1: Oh my god! Because he's so yes, distinctive it looking, <laughs> and it, but it was just—it was just such a weird. I well, just, his, as voice, I said on, his
0: voice is very distinctive. Well, yeah, as well.
1: and a, but as I said on Twitter, you know, b- biggest surprise in terms of a British comedy person turning up in these films since Benedict Wong. But even Benedict Wong's so. got form for being in Hollywood stuff. So uh, that was fun. Uh, just <laughs> Lolly Edfoupi
2: is know, in uh, Mission Impossible
1: Six. That's not a Marvel <laughs> film, James.
2: Yeah, I know. Just in terms <laughs> of like incredible cameos, that's yeah. one to look out for.
0: We should. Um, we should point out, by the way, Detectorists is yeah. and Seb and I <laughs> adore it's on my you know, list, and, and I kind
2: um, of wish I'd seen it. Now that you're raving about this guy's it's, it's performance wonderful.
1: in it, wonderful. Well, the thing about the yeah, it, one
0: of our former one of our former podcasts works on it as well, so that's yeah. pretty
1: cool. He's a yeah, he's a supporting character in it, but there's some really good stuff with him, and a particular thing about to do with his character's age that I I won't spoil here because yes, it's a really funny yes. gag, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just and it, Andrew Elard, by the way. If, in case
0: anyone was wondering whether I don't know any of our other guests. Yeah it, it an, yeah, it and, was yeah. Andrew was Andrew script editor <laughs> on
1: the third and final series. Uh, it's a fantastic program uh, that I think yeah. I think series one and two are on Netflix, but not series three. Series three shut up on iPlayer a little while ago, just after we had watched series one and two on Netflix because it got repeated. So
0: that's exactly um, exactly the way I did it. Yeah. So anyway, I want to take a I want to take a brief pause for a second and just kind of slow things down because I've got a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, um to be honest, we can start where we were. Oozman, do you think he's do you think he's still around to, to survive this? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Usman? yeah. yeah I, I think he probably did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Agent Stoltz, uh the corrupt <laughs> agent the FBI agent in this movie. Do you think he survived the yeah. snap? I think
1: he probably didn't, but I think Jimmy Woo did. Oh Jimmy Woo's definitely around.
0: Um <laughs> Tim Heidecker plays the whaleboat captain, Daniel Gubler. Um, <laughs> do you think whaleboat captain, Daniel Gubler? I like mean, a snap?
2: if you go by the fine, final scene in this movie, a lot more people didn't survive than did.
0: No, it's still 50%. Yeah, here.
2: but it was a beating the odds to have three people disappear at the end of Ant-Man instead of four. Yeah,
1: but, uh, but James, you yeah. don't... Yeah, that's, you know, just because of a group of four people, just because 50% overall disappear it doesn't mean that in a group yeah
2: yeah yeah. but i'm saying statistically speaking ant-man is ant-man's cast is beating the odds uh
0: we'll get to that at the end of the movie (laughs) either way (laughs) we'll get we'll we'll get to it at the end of the movie um i just thought i'd check in on some of those characters (laughs) um (laughs) guys i i adored the supporting cast here i can't think of anyone who shows up in this movie. I'm just, I'm I'm looking down the cast. Paul Rudd is obviously doing great Paul Rudd stuff. Evangeline Lilly is fucking kicking ass. I, I, right I, 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 I really, really
1: like, I mean, James, I mean, you were saying before, you don't like that you don't think she's the same characters in the first film, but she gets to do a lot in this because, like, Evangeline Lilly, I mean, in terms of showing what she can do. I was impressed by her in this because she's, she's funny in this as well.
0: She's, for me, doing what she did um in the early seasons of lost when her character still had stuff to do <laughs> which is which is this kind of like she is a character who is incredibly strong uh incredibly independent and self-sufficient and puts up this very convincing barrier to the world um but is kind of motivated by this kind of just this this kernel of hurt inside like this this thing that she hangs on to that kind of has her in this defensive position in kind of everything she approaches and i think that's the same for Chaos and in lost as it is for hype van dyne here and in lost it is her relationship with her mother and um
1: the crime she was responsible for can't we just um, have one podcast that doesn't have you talking about lost <laughs>
0: no, ne- neither. no know this. neither can we have a podcast where i don't slag off bucky who is not in this movie great news you guys uh another, another good thing about this film um and yeah and i think hope is it hope has that same vibe she is this steely really competent character um who just has this but kind of you scratch the surface just the right amount and you see the you see the emotion yeah. underneath. And you're right, Seb, she does get to be funny this time. And she does kind of get to have fun. I don't think it is the same dynamic between Scott and Hope in this one, because they've had that relationship that has built and then disintegrated in between. I <laughs> Allegedly. know, James, you're saying mm-hmm. you didn't see it, but but I but I bought it. I bought it in that scene where she's like, she's saying, you know, we were training together, we were other, other stuffing together, and... I kind of got that, that playfulness between them when she was growing to trust him again. And then if anything, the the stuff with Cassie that I was talking about with him not wanting to let her down, what he's what's probably closest to the truth is that he doesn't want to let Hope down again because he wants Hope to be his partner. And what you see time and time again in this movie is her confidence in him being rebuilt and then shattered when he does something stupid. And he's like, and she's like, oh, is he the guy? Oh no, he's still that idiot. He is still that idiot. Um, And I kind of liked that kind of balanced going backwards and forwards throughout this movie. Whereas in the first movie, she just thought he was an idiot. She thought he was an idiot. She thought he was an idiot. And then out of the blue, they're kissing <laughs> at the end. That I didn't, I didn't buy the arc I mean, of the relationship will, in the like, first movie, but I really did. I will did. say,
2: I agree that she's a better character in this film. I do think the fact that she's got multiple layers... Is why it doesn't feel like she's the same character to me. Because in the first one, she was just like antagonized (laughs) and angry, and that was it for the whole time. First film,
1: you know, (laughs) you can't criticize this film for giving her more. I'm just saying
2: they established a character, and then in this film, they go,
1: (laughs) "No, they established a completely different character." Okay, I'm
0: going to continue working my way down the cast. Michael Pena, still hilarious. Walton Goggins brings the Elmore Leonard because he always <laughs> does. Bobby Cannavale and Judy Greer use just the right amount. T.I. and David Dalmastian use just the right amount. And the Baba Yaga stuff is great. Um, Hannah John-Kamen, I I've already talked about being... being uh, can, really, I just, can I just really mention quickly as as the concerned.
2: fact that she is an Argentinian orphan who was raised in America to have a British accent. This is an interesting idea. Uh,
0: do, was, she, was she raised in America? Does it say that? I mean... And was she... Or, or is she, she not... She was taken by she S.H.I.E.L.D., British? right? Was she, but the... And, and was her father Argentinian, or was that just where he was doing the experiment because he was in disgrace? She
2: certainly appeared point. ethnically Argentinian. I cannot speak any further than that.
0: I mean, her mother could have been British. <laughs> it didn't distract me. It distracted me. me. <laughs> Anyway, I'll be Fortson. Great. Randall Park. Hilarious. Yeah, he always he's is. Really he's in, really he's good. He's going to be an Aquaman by the way. So look forward to that playing <laughs> from what I can tell a similar role. Um, I'm going to skip this one. Um, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, I like, I, do you know what they pulled off? Which man of steel didn't making Lawrence Fishburne run and it didn't look ridiculous. Um, and Michael Douglas, who I think very, very effectively plays a
1: prick. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to bounce back on that because I think you referenced before, and it was a little bit jarring, but I did find it funny, but the Bobby Cannavale and Judy Greer, the, the thing of... like. After the events of the first film, they just like unequivocally love Scott, and <laughs> yeah, a completely on yes. his <laughs> side was fun. <laughs> just like the hugs
0: was. Uh, How are you yeah. doing, buddy? <laughs> and also, I loved the the, the very quick callback between uh, Randall Park saying, "How did you do that with the magic trick?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Bobby Cannavale doing it five yeah. minutes mean later was wonderful. The thing, the thing I liked um, about that
2: was that it portrayed uh, like divorced parent relationship. In a way that you normally don't see on screen, like you tend to get yeah. a lot of the first movie, which is that like, uh, here's the new husband, he's a prick and he hates the the old one, obviously. And in this one, actually,
1: and it's also a, often a modern... that the ex-wife is really stern, yeah. and, and just exasperated and angry, and yeah, yeah. And, them them being on his side, you yeah, know, it was and really really good and actually FBI like
2: was, a lot yeah. more representative of like a modern family structure, which is it's long yeah. overdue to see that sort of thing in movies.
0: Yeah. Um speaking of family structure, Janet returns by the end of this movie. So (laughs) um two things that I think that this movie delivered less of than I was expecting was A the Quantum Realm and B Janet Van Dyne. Yeah. Um What did you guys think of Michelle Pfeiffer? Because I thought it was an odd performance. Was it a performance? I'm not I'm not I'm not willing to say bad, but I just um it wasn't what I was expecting from that character. And I wondered what they were holding back.
1: What I will say is I am starting to reach a point where I'm disappointed if Marvel movies don't feature actors who used to be famous in the 80s and 90s de-aged <laughs> to what they looked like in the 80s and 90s. Because though what they did with Michelle but I was genuinely like, if I didn't know that she was going to appear later in the movie, like, at her actual age, I would have just been like, wow, Michelle Pfeiffer looks really good for her age in this (laughs) film. Uh, I I I love the de-aging. I always get a kick out of it because they do it so well and they know that they're having fun with it now, that they can go, look, we have actually cast somebody from 30 years ago in our movie. We haven't had to just get a younger actor to play them. Um,
0: I liked it a little bit less this time. I also thought that they weirdly... I don't know whether this is just me misremembering, but 30 years ago, so that'd be 1988. I'm sure Michelle Pfeiffer looked younger than that in 1988.
1: There's a... I've, I've seen a comparison, actually, pictures of... They they went for... Because I think they say it's 85. They were referencing... Okay. Uh, they were referencing what Michael Douglas looked like around Wall Street, which was 87, Street, yeah. and Lady Hawk, which was 85, for Michelle Pfeiffer.
0: Okay. Well, I, I Yeah, I don't know. It just... It's always a little bit uncanny valley, but it felt a little bit more so this time. I do think they're generally good at it. Yeah, I'm looking at Michelle Pfeiffer in Lady Hawk. She looks a lot younger there than she did in this movie. Um Ah, uh, yeah. It just it it's it sat slightly oddly to me, but then I don't know, does does Michelle Pfeiffer rock the the white hair in real life now? She doesn't does she? Cuz I think Michelle Pfeiffer probably looks a lot younger. She probably does. I mean, I think they
2: probably had to go with that cuz it's not like she could have dyed her hair in the quantum realm. <laughs> Although it didn't well, appa- apparently, apparently it didn't stop she... her getting makeup and collagen injections,
1: but there so, is a real sort of the film James. doesn't really address like what she's <laughs> what she's been, been doing doing for 30 years because so. the, if she has been completely on her own uh living nope, for 30 years
0: she hasn't <laughs> so peyton reed has given interviews about uh, it sorry hang um, on i, I do not really, give a shit what he says the, in whoa, interviews. Whoa, whoa 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 let me let me finish let me finish peyton reed's given interviews about this and has been explicit well as explicit as he could be um unfortunately i listened to this interview after i re the film so i didn't notice it even on the second time Apparently, if you are watching carefully during the Quantum Realm scenes with Janet, you can see essentially what in the background essentially what is a
1: civilization down in the Quantum Realm. Right, because the film really should have explained that because I spent the film going, well, when they find her, she's just going to be like, she's going to have like regressed because like almost like more of her life has been spent on her own in this weird place than living in society with people.
0: I don't think they... Ca- it didn't seem like the film cared that much about addressing any I of I mean, the it Janet did stuff. care a lot no. about as if, as if saying
2: if... being in the quantum realm will shatter your mind, and then it show has her show up fine.
1: And she's just like, yeah... Like, if I'm, you set up that not, as Not only a... am I fine, but I'm actually more powerful than I was... Yeah, yeah
2: if you set so that up as a I, stake, I'm... you have to pay it off, and I don't think the film does that in I'm... any way.
0: No, I think the film is deliberately obscure around janet because yeah i'll be honest the janet stuff didn't work for me it worked for me from an emotional side of things for hope um but it didn't really work for me when that character was on screen but i got the impression that they were being deliberately obscure to address at a future point in a future movie um because yeah, if there is a civilization down there and Janet has been down there, I think that her powers, they don't really... What they show you is not very clear. She's got some kind of quantum energy, but not enough to fix Ghost. They're still having to go down there to get more. Um, And also, I just don't know whether she is... uh, Chris here was talking about this in the Empire podcast as well. I don't know whether to believe that she is a goodie because i also don't know whether to believe still at this point i I thought going into the first ant-man movie that hank pym might make a turn and we'd find out that he was the villain and increasingly throughout this film you get you get this impression that he doesn't play well with others he is he obviously he doesn't turn around on scott as fast as hope does um he we find out what an asshole he was to bill foster and it just seems like he um, didn't get on with anybody. There
1: is, a, I don't know, with the Bill Foster thing, I think there's there's two sides there because Bill Foster doesn't cover himself in glory <laughs> no. in this film either, so I don't think we can draw no, any but, conclusions about who was in no, the right out the, of the two of
0: them. No, but there's the stuff... You can't, but there's the stuff in the first film with Darren Cross as well, and you get the impression that maybe Darren Cross wouldn't have turned into that evil psychopath mm, my, if Hank hadn't been such a dick to him in the first film. My place. feeling with
1: how Hank comes across to me in these films is that he's fundamentally a good person who deals with people really really badly like he just can't deal with people and it's a personality flaw of his. but i don't think he's a bad person yeah i don't think
2: he doesn't do anything morally unconscionable
1: yeah he just he doesn't trust other people and he doesn't know how to emotionally interact with other people i think is is what he's like and i think that makes him an interesting character when you are largely dealing with a marvel universe that's full of incredibly <laughs> yeah. charming everyone people. being pals. yeah uh, and everyone i could, being imagine, witty I could and, just imagine you know, him as yeah. being
0: one of these former shield guys who was in hydra but when everyone exposed themselves he went nah. <laughs> exposed themselves <laughs> no, I just,
1: see i just i i feel that's projecting a hank pym as an yeah. asshole in the comics um, and in the ultimate you know he literally does turn on them um i i i don't get that impression from him at all that that opening scene um with him and hope no, I, um, i'm really I'm embellishing a lot by for the me way. in terms of feeling on his side even though he's a dick um i think i he's I, a dick I take to everyone him else. very sincerely to be honest yeah
0: me too the, the, what i what i did wonder was so less that he's a villain but more that he's a bit of a dick and the things that he is passionate about are his wife and his daughter. And should in the next film, it turn out that his wife has changed towards the villainous side while she's in the quantum realm, that he might align himself to her anyway.
2: I I can't, I can't speculate in those terms. Like I just saw nothing of that implication on screen.
0: Hmm. I just thought that I just thought everything around Janet was so deliberately obscure that i thought that they must be or at least uh, at least playing their cards close enough to their chest that they could go in whatever direction. I mean direction yeah that it's fair it's fair that they, that they, fair the me, like like that
2: they could do that, that but if if you're not going to actively set it up i can't give them credit for it.
0: No that's fair yeah.
1: I i feel like there is a version of this film that's much more about that and had a load of stuff cut in order to make more room for being funny.
0: <laughs> By the way I am very pro Paul Rudd. We'll talk about him in a second because I don't think we've talked much about him yet. Uh very pro pro Paul Rudd like him in this role, like him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If I had my way in phase 4 Paul Rudd is moved over into another franchise as a supporting character and this third movie is called The Wasp. Um I stick stick him stick him in a Thor movie or something make him the Mark Ruffalo of the next but
1: I, I don't but, I don't want to split then, those two up. I like, them. I like them as a duo, but I think you call the third film the Wasp and Ant Man.
0: <laughs> that would be yeah, that, that would equally be good. Um or Ant, Ant Ant Men and the Wasps.
1: Because I think I think the two characters and the two actors have got chemistry that works really well. And it's it's yeah. not Tony and Pepper, but I feel slightly invested in their relationship in terms of wanting them to succeed. Uh, I like I like what they bring out in each other. If that doesn't sound uh, yes, you know. <laughs> I I
0: agree. I think the characters have been set up in such a way that they they feel like a couple. No. Where you are like, oh yeah, both of these people make the other one a better
1: what, person. What I really like actually about Scott in this is that he has kind of become a a Mr. Reliable in in these films. In that you can you can put him in stuff, and yeah, the, this film isn't about him. It's not about him at all. But you can put him in something like this, and you can drop him into those bits in Civil War, and know exactly what you'll get. Know you'll get the the Paul Rudd performance, and I think in terms of how the the character and the actor who plays him, uh, how how they how they relate to one another, and and how the character relates to the actor's strengths, it, it's just so reliable. It's like I I would never not want to see. Paul Rudd, Scott Lang popping up in this yeah. movie. So, and I appreciate that. And as I said this on Twitter, you know, I probably do have a bit of a problem when it comes to Paul Rudd. But um, you know, I accidentally watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall the, the day after seeing this. Oh, you Joe sound like you're it. from England. You Sound like you're from London. Yeah, I didn't correct you on Twitter, oh, on that yeah, one, but London. you got the line wrong. Oh shit! You. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, completely you sound like right. From like London. Um, you know, that's not yeah, yeah. even his best film, but he is very funny in it. Um, but just you know, he's but i but i like the character too i I think i you know we understand that character we know where he's at um i think the, the the other thing i got from this was while i don't think that this film has the stakes of the worry of um what cassie will think of him with the stuff with him and cassie in this film and the stuff with um hank and hope um I just you know as it sounds again it sounds lame, but as a father of a daughter, I like that stuff in these films, and all the stuff with him like playing with cassie and stuff was was great i did and I
2: just, did like you know. that we got to see a superhero being a parent instead of being screwed up about their parents
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, I think a lot of that's refreshing and I think what helps all of that is, like I said before, that the movie is very meticulous about each of those character arcs and each of those stories and each of those relationships that it tells a definite story from the start of the movie to the end of the movie. And by the end of the movie, it does... I mean, they they literally play the Partridge family. It's like... Everything is tied up in this happy bow. But so are all of the character arcs and so, so are all the story arcs. And they feel very neat and tidy. And it feels... It feels like the filmmakers are as invested in those characters and and those relationships as we are. And sometimes that doesn't come across. Or sometimes it feels like... I think, like, Tony Stark is definitely guilty, that Marvel is guilty of this with Tony Stark, is that sometimes they're like, and this is the movie where we, we reveal this tiny sprinkling of his character arc and this is the movie where we hint at this thing about him. And then we'll move on and we'll see if that becomes relevant again two or three movies down the line. This is a movie that just goes, yeah, this is... it's self-contained. It's a story about these group of people over these three days and what they mean to each other. And by the end of the movie, we will have found our way to a new status quo. Um Yeah. And I, 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 I thought it was... It was so sweet. I really, it like. I, I loved those last five minutes of all of that. Like seeing those people together, seeing Cassie with Scott and Hope, for example, was a, just a treat that I didn't realize I was waiting for. Because I just like, la- I like these characters, and I want nice things to happen to them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yes, that 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 one, yeah, I agree. With you. So let's let's talk Paul Rudd because James, you said this movie wasn't funny. I just, it, just so many small moments from Paul Rudd had me laughing. the The whole sequence of him in under house arrest at the start of the movie, I thought was great. Um, Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd, but being Paul Rudd in a really great way. Um, oh, by the way, in that sequence, did you guys spot the little the uh, Easter egg? Why well, I, I presume an Easter egg about the uh, the finger snap. When he was learning the online magic online, and they were talking about, you see the snap over here, and that's the misdirect for something else. <laughs> I want. I wondered whether. I wondered whether that was a bit of foreshadowing for Avengers Four <laughs> and how they're gonna get get things sorted. Maybe there's a big distraction plan. Well, you
2: know, there's, or, maybe, or maybe Doctor Strange w- did ma- see one way out. Maybe right? that's what.
0: Yes, exactly, <laughs> and it is. Oh God, could you imagine if, similar to the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, it is. Ant-Man doing close-up magic that distracts
2: Thanos.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They get the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, But yeah, so I loved all of that House Arrest stuff. Uh, Just some of the small jokes. I just clicked onto the quote section on IMDb. We haven't talked much about the malfunctioning scene. Uh, Um, Yeah. Okay, uh, but when Scott is Scott is still tiny and he gets into the van and Hank <sighs> says to him, Hiya champ, how was school today? You want a juice box and some string cheese? And then Scott says, in all seriousness, do you really have that? <laughs> I was just, I loved it. Similarly, my screening, I, my second screening was more so. My first screening wasn't very full and there wasn't a huge amount of laughs. There were laughs, but it wasn't like one of those like uproarious press screenings that you sometimes go to where all of the jokes get picked up on um but i just that was indicative of the kind of stuff that really made me chuckle it was just little paul rudd asides and james you can say cut to paul rudd looking confused eight times do it eight more times I, i will still find it funny
2: it felt to me like they, they didn't have jokes, so they just thought, let's pull some funny expression. Like there was a lot of slapstick in this film as well, which really didn't work for me. Um I am someone who likes I like what, so tightly the, stripped, the slapstick. Right, go on. Are
0: you talking are you talking about the, the shrinking and the malfunctioning suit as the slapstick? Fuck that,
2: yeah. Why? Okay. What's wrong In Spider-Man that? 2, right? When his powers sort of malfunction and disappear. It is a function of Peter Parker's character that they are malfunctioning and, you know, causing him problems. In this film, they basically went, we don't know how to make it funny and how to put obstacles in his way if he can just use his powers as he needs to. So, malfunctioning suit, that solves our problems. His fa- his powers work if we need them to, and they don't if we don't. If we want to get a laugh, we can make him two-thirds made- size, like... It seems such a lazy development, and they relied on it so much. Like, it just cut out all the scenes of this film, which is Scott hammering his button and nothing happening, and you remove <laughs> a significant chunk of the sort of obstacles in his way. It's just, it's so lazy. I loathed it.
0: But does it not? Does does that does that not kind of fit the character though? That this kind of this hapless superhero, is but now it's, nothing hapless he, hapless
2: it's nothing. It's nothing he did. Like it's, it doesn't illuminate anything about Scott. If it had been his mistake that broke the suit, or if he didn't know how to use it, fine. But sometimes he pressed the button and it worked. Sometimes he pressed it and it didn't. It's not. It's not a substitute for actual understand. writing. The, the one
0: thing I didn't understand: why didn't he just put the for example? They had it. <laughs> but I will. I will let them off on the on the excuse that they used it not to illuminate something about the character because whilst you cited an example where that is the case, I don't think that always has to be the case. And I think what they did here was insert some kind of MacGuffin into the movie for the purpose of comedy and that comedy was attained. And That's the part I disagree on. It is, yes. And it's it's very convenient, you're right, but it is convenient in a way to make Scott- the bumbling guy over there, so we actually get to watch Evangeline Lilly properly kick ass and not and not have to even deal with him, just take him out of the equation? And make him do other stuff? It just. And make him battle and make him battle against it. It
2: didn't work for me. Like I don't know what more I can say. It just it seemed to me like an unnecessary contrivance.
0: Did anyone else think that they were <laughs> this might just be my smutty brain but the scene where he becomes really big in the janitor's closet and evangeline lily climbs up onto his knees onto his thighs to start playing with the thing i thought there was a gag coming there i thought there was like a very obvious gag coming there that they never quite reached and maybe it's disney and it's marvel and we're you know we're not going to make that kind of joke i think
1: because there's definitely there was definitely a sense throughout that bit and i think part, part, what was fun about that was that there's definitely a kind of screwball comedy angle yes. to how yeah, they yeah. play the relationship there and i think the whole thing of them alternating between the two sizes some bits where she's bigger than him and some bits where he's bigger than her that did seem to me to be a sort of a, a flirty angle to it a little bit i think do you think they're saving oh, well, it's, giant it's, girl for the sequel? I mean,
0: I hope so. You've that got to save be something because um, they've I,
2: done l- Ant Man and Giant Man now. So,
0: um, well, I mean, maybe there's going to be more Quantum Realm stuff and original Wasp stuff. I don't. I, don't, I mean, who knows if they'll even get <laughs> a prequel because these Marvel movies are going to look different. I think coming out the other end of Infinity War. I mean, I really <laughs> hope Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed would be the first director if it happened to direct all three installments in a. (laughs) Don't
2: write James Gunn off yet,
0: Marvel franchise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I mean, I'm not feeling confident about that, but let's see. Probably he'll be he'll be be rehired before this podcast comes out. That's normally our (laughs) luck. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I uh, I forgot what we were talking about. I mean,
2: can I can I go back to an earlier (laughs) point about comedy? Which is that my preference for comedy is for tightly scripted character-based comedy, and I felt like this had a lot of improvised comedy, which I don't like, and slapstick, which I'm not super keen on unless it's sort of character-centric, and uh, a lot of...
0: I don't know what that means, by the way. Iron Man 3 has a lot
2: of slapstick, but it's all character-centric. It's not just someone doing a pratfall. The pratfalls all mean something. That, that's the. I don't, I
0: don't see this movie being massively different in its slapstick from Iron uh, Man Three. I personally. Do.
2: I very much do. Um, and the other thing,
0: I mean, what's I mean, Iron Man Three did all the same stuff for a malfunctioning suit.
2: Yeah, but the point about the malfunctioning suit in that case was that it was related directly to Tony Stark's inability to get his shit together. Like he didn't have an alternative. But I don't, He was trying to. He was trying to hold himself together, and that when, was represented in. The way his suit performed.
0: But when you're using it for comedy, in those moments, I don't think it matters.
2: It doesn't matter if it makes you laugh. And it wasn't making me laugh because it wasn't it, it mm. wasn't meaningful.
0: That may be the difference then. <laughs> it just comes down to did we laugh or not? And I mean I did, you didn't.
2: Like the other the problem I had with a script in general is that it was so sort of basically there like it wasn't uh, it wasn't doing anything more than the bare minimum and the way that came across to me especially was how in every sequence like basically every scene in this movie started with a couple of characters having the conversation of okay why are we here and what do we want to achieve then some stuff happens there's a little twist that causes trouble but by the end of it they're basically they've done what they want and off they go and
0: yeah, it's like a little episodic crime yeah, story. Yeah, but yes.
2: it was, like, scene after scene after scene did that, and I just got so tired of having, like, the most bare functional dialogue in there when they could have been doing something interesting with the characters.
0: I I, I just I just don't agree. I think the characters were consistently bouncing off each other and consistently their relationship was edging, specifically Scott and Hope, but everyone The, on, was, the only... It was consistent... It was edging forward. In the only pairing
2: directions. that worked for me in that regard was was Hank and Scott. Like that was the only time I felt like there were two distinct personalities doing stuff.
0: I would also, by the way, massively uh, argue with your assertion that there is a lot of improvisation in this movie. I just didn't, I didn't get that sense because, I, and I, I didn't feel like the dialogue. I, I felt like the the callbacks to the jokes and the like I said at the start of the movie, the way that the emotional beats and the comedic beats of the movie were constantly interacting and kind of flipping and subverting at different points. It didn't feel to me like the the was massive. I mean, in in fairness, it felt it felt like a pretty deliberate script to me. Like a joke, like the undercarriage, for example. That felt like that. All of the undercarriage stuff felt like you have to set that up early on to get that comedic payoff late in the movie. I, and all of it I couldn't imagine anything that Randall Park said in this movie, for example, being improvised, other than maybe the last scene between him and Scott.
2: No, see that like he was the guy who I thought all of that is improvised. Like it just it had that sort of stilted. Like I'm I'm talking and I'm about to think of you something. You didn't like Randall. Park I'm not saying I movie. didn't like it. I'm saying I think his his jokes were all improvised and it was therefore not funny Uh,
0: i don't know i I, i've seen i don't know if you've watched any fresh off the boat or seen much randall park before this but um that struck me as just his normal well i mean
2: also it was michael peña and paul rudd to an extent like there was a lot of that off the cuff like it might just be that that's how they were delivering scripted lines in which case fair enough but i got that sense i got that (laughs) sense of like they just weren't delivering jokes they were trying to think of jokes on camera
0: uh, fact, i think for me that just that felt like the pattern i'm I'm sure paul Rudd and michael peña are doing a little bit of improvisation in their performance but i'm not sure whether they're improvising much in the way of dialogue i mean or it wasn't dramatic it wasn't quite
2: tj miller and deadpool where i don't get the sense that he was reading from any version of the script but you know <laughs> It yeah. was more in that direction than I'm comfortable finding funny. See, that, I mean, this is where it, thought, all, like all my criticisms of the film stem from the fact that it just wasn't making me laugh. And I, I've i said before, if I find it funny, I will forgive any amount of bullshit you want to do. Like, you want to put Tony Stark in a fake <laughs> Iron Man costume made out of a glove and a you know, piece of electrical wire. I'm there for it because it's funny. Like, you want to have a suit fall to bits any time someone looks at it. Great, do it because I'm laughing. In this film, I laughed out loud a few times, but I laughed a lot more I think, at Teen I Titans Go. I don't, get,
1: I don't get why why you didn't find more of it funny, because yeah, you know, it, it is a point that we always agree on that's that thing of I find you find it funny so you'll forgive. And as you know, I think this film has problems with its villain and, and potentially problems with its structure and sense of jeopardy at times and that kind of thing. But um, it's it's funny and fun. I don't get why you didn't find more of it funny. I, I, <laughs> I mean,
2: I've talked for an hour, what hour about. It would
1: have had to have done to be. No, you've just said Seb, that you didn't the, find um, it funny. You didn't say why it's not. Funny. I just yeah, I don't know.
0: Seb, what was the what was the Paul Rudd moment that you thought was one of his
1: very the, best? The bit with him uh, when he's Janet. Uh, he's
0: oh right yeah okay uh,
1: fine yeah. <laughs> Just great. I mean, Do, I think uh, isn't could, it lazy if, to? If you weren't enjoying it as much as I was, you could say it goes on too long. Isn't it lazy? I didn't think isn't it, it lazy
2: could. to get laughs out of making uh, a man be feminine? No, because no, because if that's not if just that's what, what the it's joke. Doing. What?
0: Yeah, that, and that's not that's not the joke. I think the that's joke the joke is. Paul
2: Red thought he was doing. No, because it's the, it's the
1: it's the way he is with Hank and Hope as well and the, yeah no, no, I, looking there's more to it than looking I. at, and
0: at that, them and that scene has that scene has such an earnestness <laughs> to it that
1: <laughs> i don't think the is humor is for me the humor for me comes out looking
2: of, at them lovingly like, it comes like, out of, as if it's the first time they're seeing them in 30 years funny having him stroke their face like that's going towards oh isn't it funny if a man touches <laughs> another man intimately like
1: no, because for no, me, because where, that's, where that scene it's, succeeds is... the weight is... of the, the, their previous, you know, especially when you consider where yeah. Hank and Scott are in terms of their dynamic at that point and the fact that you know that Scott and Hope have had that previous relationship that they're not in anymore. It's not just, oh, it's... I mean, some people will probably laugh at it on the level of... Paul Rudd is doing a slightly effeminate voice, and he's stroking the face of another man. But, but only, I don't but think that's very just slightly. the joke that that's going for at all. I like think Paul there's Rudd's, more to Like Paul Rudd's
0: not—he's not cranking it up to be some kind of
1: yeah, like
0: a slapstick pastiche. It's not.
1: No, it's, it's yeah. I think there's a there is a. I don't want to use the word subtlety because it's not a subtle <laughs> scene, but... <laughs> I, think, I think for I think me there as well, a, a lot of the humour comes out of that there is a way that he that carries balance. himself throughout that scene yeah. where he's thought about the performance. And I'm just eulogising about Paul Rudd here, but, you know. For, for
0: me, it, I was constantly... I think why that scene was so funny is because it was... It was so earnest, but Paul Rudd was doing that at the same mm. time. That it was... That I was... I was simultaneously buying the... Re- like, finding the entire construction of the situation ridiculous, but buying the emotional payoff that the scene was I delivering. See, I didn't... And it's such it's such an audacious, ballsy scene to stick in the middle of your movie. Your big reunion scene between... Like, the, literally, the character who is the plot device of the movie, we must retrieve this character to reunite with this character we haven't seen for 30 years... And they reunite with her. I
2: think I would have bought that sequence more if we had spent any amount of time with Michelle Pfeiffer in in the film before. Like meeting her that way just meant for me it was Paul Rudd doing a you know effeminate impression. It wasn't.
0: It and wasn't a me, character for me. That's the risk of the nah, scene. No, nah. for me that is that that is the Sorry, that's the risk that the scene has is your reaction. And for me, the payoff of the scene is my reaction. As to the filmmakers have taken that risk, and they've got some people reacting like me, and some just, people. Yeah, reacting I, like
2: didn't, I didn't. I didn't buy any of the emotion in that scene, and that's that's why I can't give it a pass because it's just. It, I didn't find it funny, and I didn't believe the emotional moment. It just came across as like absolute madness, like an attempt to be funny that completely fell flat on its face.
0: we're never going to agree about this movie no, i haven't. i'm
2: interested to hear where you guys <laughs> rank it amongst the others
1: i haven't i haven't about that, to be honest because I, uh, <laughs> I, I can tell it you yet. it's I, bottom 5 for me oh, it's definitely probably
2: bottom though. 4 yeah. i think my bottom 4 i think am man 2 guardians 2 thor 2 and hulk i genuinely mm. i would just rather watch just
0: up my list any now. of the others okay du, 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 du. Just off, uh, it is definitely top ten, so it sits in the top half. Um, Yeah, probably, probably, probably close to Doctor Strange in the first Iron Man.
1: I mean, it's it's probably it probably does still fall bottom half for me, but bottom half is not poor for me. It's like there are you know what like four or five that I think are weak at the bottom. I mean, it's it's obviously not better than Ant-Man. I think it's better than Incredible Hulk. It's better than Iron Man 2. It's not better than Thor. Not better than Cap. Not better than Avengers. I'm just going through them chronologically. It's not better than Iron Man 3. It's better than Thor The Dark World. Not better than Winter Soldier. Not better than Guardians. It's better than Age of Ultron. It's not better than Ant-Man. It's not better than Civil War. I would put it about on a par with Doctor Strange now that I look at it. And I prefer Guardians 2, but I know you guys hate that. It's not as good as Homecoming. It's not as good as Ragnarok. it's not as, Panther, so... not as good as Infinity <laughs> War. So it's bottom half. But but as I say, for me, it's only the bottom quarter that's poor. So it sounds to
2: me like it's, it's really low down your list Seb. I'd be interested to see what it, yeah, went, but it actually Doctor is. Doctor
1: Strange is Doctor Strange is really low down my list, and Doctor Strange is great. You know, there there's a there's a point. Yeah, with but that, these that's films why it's where, interesting say, only...
2: <laughs> to rank them. <laughs> Like the only yeah. bad films I think aside from this one are Iron Man 2, Guardians 2, Thor 2 and Hulk. And maybe Age of Ultron if you're really harsh.
1: Yeah, and I quite like Age of Ultron and actually actually rewatching Iron Man 2 as I think we talked yeah. about at the time.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I never hated Iron film, Man 2
1: like most people seem to. Mediocre. Yeah.
2: And Iron Man 2 has a I
1: think there are t- I think there are I think
0: there are two for me, there are two bad MCU movies. Um, Thor 2 and Hulk. Incredible Hulk and, and, yeah. and, and Thor 2. There, there are then maybe four or five movies that I think are like flawed three-star movies. Um, Maybe maybe a few more than that. But like movies that I think that are, they're, they're not bad, but they they have a flaw that I am aware of. So I would stick like Spider-Man Homecoming mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, definitely. For me. Um, And then I think the top 10... To twelve, I probably like all of them quite a lot, yeah. and I, uh, I've got yeah. a, I've got a, a, like a real affection for the top five or six. And uh, yeah, that's a, the thing. Honest, I, I would, like, put, I would I d- put this, this around this movie the for me,
1: but, but still, it's it's. I think it's above a three. I think it's. I think it's closer to a four.
0: It's just becoming increasingly hard to compare these movies. Yeah. Like, I love everything that this movie does, and I don't know how to possibly compare it to Infinity War because they. are that just i mean well and this
1: not... is you know these movies are reaching a point and i think i talked about this when we did infinity war these movies are reaching a point where they are more like a comic book universe they they're not a, a a a a numbered series of films that you can rank in in that mm. way because they are lots of different strands of the same ongoing universe. there will come a point, well you know, there's already a point where lots of people only see some of these films and not all of them. I don't think they'll ever come a point where the certainly the universe as a whole there's loads of stuff I haven't watched, the TV stuff. I don't think they'll ever come a point where I'm not watching these films as they come out, but as with comics, like there's so much stuff, you don't read everything and you don't maintain a ranking of everything <laughs> that you? you've read. You have your favourites, but <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> By the way, I think this movie—it's uh, it, it, obviously box office wise—is not the smash that Black Panther and Infinity War have been this year, and like relative for Marvel is is quite low down in terms of current active franchises. Um, but I think they missed a trick waiting as long as they, or the way that the the films were released. Civil War coming so soon after the first Ant-Man and then there being a significant gap, certainly in the terms of Marvel movies since then. Like Ant-Man turning into Giant-Man in Civil War feels so long ago now that I wonder whether Marvel fans of the kind of the the wider Marvel universe who kind of went, oh, that was great in Civil War, that it feels so long ago now because we've had Infinity War and Ant-Man wasn't in it that this movie didn't get the Civil War bump that it could have had if it had been... You know, if this movie comes out three or six months after Civil War, I think probably people... Are, uh, it's making a lot more money at the I box mean,
2: office. I think the but way to make again, this I do- make... I, do-
0: I doubt Disney The way to make
2: this more money at the to... box office is to put Ant-Man Infinity War somehow.
0: Well, I think he's going to be in the next run a lot. And let's get yeah. to that. So let's do the post-credit <laughs> stuff. So, had either of you... i heard some people saying like, oh, but by the time I got, you know... Because, you know... When this movie, When Infinity War had come out, there was I saw some hot takes on the internet like god, how are they going to like how do they have the nerve to switch down to Ant-Man <laughs> next? Who's going to care about Ant-Man? And and what Ant-Man does brilliantly is for most of its running time make you forget about the rest of the Marvel universe. Because it just doesn't bother to interact with it. Mm. And I know I heard some people saying like, oh, I got seeing credits," and I could like completely even forgotten about how it might tie into Infinity War. It was just, and I mean, I, no, I, I was waiting either. for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was sat there going, "Which is it going to be mid credits or is yeah, it going to be end credits?" <laughs> and and are the people I think are going to disappear going to disappear? And hmm. as soon as that scene was set up in the way it was, I was like, "Right, okay." I know who is staying and who's (laughs) going then, because which is bullshit in the first
2: place. Because I really want to see the Wasp interacting with the Avengers, and they fucked that up for me. Mm, Yes,
0: I don't know whether this is just for you know the foreknowledge of knowing that Ant Man, that Paul Rudd was going to be a significant part of Avengers Four, that it didn't bother me. I would like, yeah, I would love to see Wasp more active part of that movie, but we kind of don't know how like we know we're going to see everyone in that movie in some way or another um and i think a line in the end credits in in this scene <laughs> yeah. kind of points towards what that is going to be
1: well a line and then also the casting thing that was talked about before because let's right. not so Let's not beat around the bush here. There is no doubt now, the longer it goes on without them confirming it, I am so shorn of all doubt that Avengers 4 is called Avengers Forever. (laughs) Everyone thinks it. Everyone knows it. There's no credible alternative being suggested. Avengers 4 is going to involve time travel and is going to be called Avengers Forever. And at some point in the film, we are going to see a future version of the Avengers where Cassie Lang is stature. Explain,
0: explain to me why uh, Avengers Forever is a good title? Because, because there was a, f- a it's popular the story. fourth
1: film, and there was a popular yeah. time travel Avengers storyline called Avengers Forever. And if it's okay. the last film featuring this set of Avengers, it's it's a perfect title. Why? Do yeah, you and, it, and it
0: ties into Wakanda Forever as well uh, because like it's, it's got so well, many that's, layers. That's that's why. <laughs> yeah. The Wakanda Forever, I kind of yeah, feel. Yeah, but like,
2: all you do uh, is your, have someone thing. say to you know Black Panther like. Wakanda forever and he says Avengers forever and then there you
0: go that okay if he if he if he owns it then I'm fine but um I I'm uh so the Cassie as part of a future Avengers a future young Avengers right
2: yeah because you know Rather than what's than his face tradition. from Iron Man 3 is also back in Avengers 4
1: <laughs> oh really is mm-hmm. he okay mm-hmm. that little kid well there you is go is he brilliant um so, we yeah, are totally going to see uh, a, a team of... I don't think they're going to play a major part in the plot. I think we're going no, to at no, some no, point no. either you know, jump forwards and we will see that these are the Avengers of the future, I think is what i are going to Do I think you probably... Do you think you jump forwards and then you
2: I think. Yeah, I think all do. the Avengers characters are going to be sent to different time frames, a la Avengers Forever, mm-hmm. and they are mm-hmm. going to be retrieving the Infinity Stones, which have been scattered across time and space, and yeah. they're all going to come together which at the end. Would,
0: which would equally work which really works. So say, say you send Ant-Man back to the Battle of mm-hmm. New York. He's still interacting with Tony Stark and Captain America and Black Widow and all those characters, but he's interacting with the past yep. version of them. Say you send Tony Stark to Xandar in 2014. Then you've got <laughs> Tony Stark interacting with Peter and Drax and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Gamora and all of yep. the Guardians. That Yeah, that would be fantastic. Say you send Black Widow to the future and she takes a young avengers team mm-hmm. under her wing um yeah all of those things would be great we should talk that the line sorry specifically, yeah i, I cut the, you off
1: before talking about the line
0: sorry. <laughs> the line specifically because i noticed this down the second time is uh so michelle pfeiffer talks about the tartargrades uh which i just i was just thinking Star Trek discovery <laughs> and then uh she said and don't get sucked into a time vortex we won't be able to save you do you know who might be able to save him though brie larson <laughs> <laughs> right it's it just I, I i think that marvel is very good at doing this of rewarding the people who watch all of the movies to go you you can put the pieces together you guys that ant-man's the only one left he's in the quantum realm he's stuck in there they've said don't go into a time vortex yeah but what if he does see i um, <laughs> and then what if my Kat theory marvel gets him out of there my
2: theory for this is that having been roundly defeated at the end of uh avengers 3 Tony Stark spends the next 10, 20 years developing a time machine. And that's where we pick up Tony Stark is, I've developed time travel, let's go and get Thanos' plan. So Ant-Man and
0: maybe Ant-Man and Captain Marvel turn up in the future and then travel back.
2: Yeah, something like that. Or maybe Tony Stark hits, you know, switches on his time machine and Ant-Man from the present day falls out. Something, you know, something like that.
0: So it's going to be time travel it's going to be great um, in terms of this actual scene so the, the way that they construct the scene it has to be that Ant-Man ends up inside did you get the sense that Ant-Man was saved because he's one of the 50% or that actually maybe if you're in one of those realms that you can't be taken You know, like maybe, you know, like maybe if Doctor Strange had been in the mirror universe, that he he would have been protected as well.
2: I think, given that it's the Infinity Stones, historically speaking, the Infinity Stones literally control the entire universe. So it doesn't matter if you're in the microverse slash quantum realm or the mirror universe. So
0: Dormammu could have gone? Dormammu's not gone. Well,
2: no, every universe has a different infinity gauntlet, right? That only works in that universe. Um, so I think Dormammu's Dormammu's so, dimension so. is a different universe. The microverse slash so quantum realm is just our universe, but a very small size.
0: What is the is the mirror universe? The though? mirror
2: universe. I think that's is that's within universe? our universe. I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so who knows maybe maybe scott was protected by that maybe Maybe he wasn't but you know so peyton reed was talking about this he said that like they had a version of the scene where there was like more characters on the outside that maybe bill foster would have been there or ghost or luis and then it became clear to them that like well thanos has a 50 percent rule And there's only so many characters that we can have on the outside to leave Scott stranded Mm -hmm. inside where you can stretch the credibility of that. And I think three is the number. I think any more than three, and they would have been in trouble. Uh, Yeah, definitely. And and, and James, you think that they were in a little bit of trouble (laughs) anyway.
2: (laughs) I think I would have bought two. I think three was slightly too much for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, thankfully, we know they'll all be back eventually um Can we talked talk about we talked about... about sorry i just want one question then we'll we'll flip it we talked about on the avengers podcast about all of the characters who survived the snap being most at in danger when it comes to the next film do you agree with that in terms of scott lang because i he doesn't if they kill Scott Lang, that would be more brutal than Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, right? I
1: I don't think it's as clean and simple as as that. I he's think.
0: like he's yeah. like a little cocker spaniel. You can't you can't kill Paul Rudd. It's just it, so it's not. We don't think all those characters at the end are dying. Within all those that those characters at the end are at risk, and that probably your likes of Black Widow and Ant Man are the ones who manage to walk away. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't Sorry, put a man as a risk of dying. Put it that way.
1: Yeah, good. Sorry, Sab. What were you going to say? No, I just I wanted to talk about something quite specific about the 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 final post credits bit, not not the uh, the the snap bit, but actually what followed that. Um, just because I haven't really seen this talked about, but it it simultaneously really creeped me out, and and I mm. think did something really interesting. Which was the um when it shows the ant playing the drums, the emergency alert that's on the television and which also actually the sound of it carries through even after it's faded away yeah, firstly, that just really put the shivers up <laughs> because that's your sort of you know like when if there''s <laughs> I was gonna be, say a, that's the spectrum nuclear, of threads. Yeah, exactly. That's a,
0: and that and that's the th- that's the first thing that we've seen in the MCU. Yeah, that's all we but know of the post. Exactly.
2: <laughs> the post.
1: Well, no, well it's Thanos slightly because we've had well this. We talked about this after Infinity at the end of Infinity War, and the thing that I really liked about the very very end bit of Infinity War is that shot yeah. of the helicopter crashing because it's. Again, I went into a little bit more detail about this, but it's a a problem that I sometimes have with superhero fiction is when you get these big earth-shattering events, it only looks at them in terms of how they affect the heroes and not how it affects the world and ordinary people. It's the Jonathan Hickman problem that I've talked about. Yeah. Um, and And that bit at the end of Infinity War at least had that little moment of this is how it might affect the lives of normal people if 50% of the population mm. just disappear. And similarly that... So infin- the bit at the end of the Infinity War, you had the, oh, shit, people are disappearing, this is the damage that we'd have. The fact that this is a moment of, this is the kind of thing that the 50% who are left are going to have to deal with. And just it, there's just something about just that tone and that thing on the TV. It's a little bit similar to how I feel about broadcast signal intrusions, which we talked about on Iron Man 3 with the Mandarin. <laughs> um it really for something to co- for something like that to just just be dropped in at the very end of this fun and frothy and light hearted film that really stuck with me. It really, really did because it, it got me hey. thinking far more about the impact of Infinity see, I saw than, I saw loads, loads of people boarded. going like, "Ah,
2: did you see what it said on the screen?" I was like, "Well, yeah," but it didn't like it didn't tell me anything new. <laughs> but having heard it in your context, I can sort of see why that might people might think that was a big deal.
1: What, that's what, what this film Why, does really, really well for all it, all Again, it, What it said it's... on the screen was, it was just, it's just, that's just Yeah, it just, just said emergency, emergency broadcast signal or whatever, standby, yeah. it, didn't it, yeah. But that's the point. That but is it's... not something that we have ever actually seen happen in a real context in the world, only ever the possibility of it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's a, mm. oh shit, everything is as bad as it could possibly be. Moment. I would have you liked know? that. I, st- I, I would have liked that
2: scene to have ended with that ant disappearing as well and looking at his hands being like, oh no.
0: Do you think as well it has a bit more resonance at the end of a movie that feels like it's filled with more real people? So we've we've just seen this like universe-spanning superhero throwdown, and I, I you know I think it's telling that at the end of Infinity War the most touching tragic death is the Peter Parker one because he's the ordinary kid who goes to high school who's been tied up in all of this. Ant Man feels a bit more like our own world. There are ordinary people in the background of that movie that there never are in infinity war i'm not sure that you ever just see an an average bloke walking around the back of the street even when they're fighting in new york um or in edinburgh i don't think you see normal people in infinity <laughs> yeah, exactly. war it feels like yeah. it is a battle going on between superheroes and you get that at the end of this movie and you kind of like it's heart and mouth stuff because you're like oh, what? hope and hank <laughs> and, and Janet, guess, she, 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 we, we now know her but they're got and then and then uh, uh, and that's scott's apartment that's where he was playing with his kid and the emergency broadcast is playing and is cassie okay and is cassie's mom and stepdad okay and it yeah I, it it works for me and again i thought the contrast of one of the most Ridiculous out there images in the movie of an ant playing the drums, which, uh, touche for putting in the trailer and it being the post <laughs> I scene, thought I think that. that must be a first. I was like, come on. Yeah. Ballsy. <laughs> which, which is great. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I think at that and Infinity War, you combine, in fact, I think Infinity War's post credit stuff and Ant Man's post credit stuff, really super. Shame about Black Panther and Bucky, but, um, <laughs> we can't have everything can we uh yeah I, I i thought it was another example again of ant-man doing that let's let's pair the ridiculous comedy and the genuine emotion in a in a single scene in a single shot um really likes this movie you guys 10 out of 10 <laughs> let's make another one mike might go see it again tomorrow it's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> I, Seven uh, out four course. out of ten max <laughs> right, it's not ten out of ten but it is very very good uh james i just refer all of our listeners back to my original statement <laughs> at the start of the podcast
1: i can't believe i'm just checking and i was when we, you could have just had that and that would have been uh, enough.
0: <laughs> i just want to check as well james i got your middle name right yeah 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 <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Okay, anything else that we want to say on Ant Man and the Wasp, or should we move on now uh, to well wrapping things up, I guess? And and comic book recommendations. Have to
1: get up in six and a half hours, so
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah, ditto. Um, Comic book recommendations based on Ant Man and the Wasp.
1: The really obvious one is the uh, the Nick Spencer Ant Man stuff, Astonishing Ant Man that came out after the first film. Which I have you read that stuff, Joe? I suspect you probably might have done. It seems like I read, have read.
0: Yeah, six six or eight issues, yeah, something like
1: that. It's it's good. It's it's not superior. It's been doing a similar thing to Superior Foes of Spider Man, but not as well. But I think what's relevant here is that that's where the setup of Scott and his mates forming a security firm. Um, comes from even though it's not the characters you know the characters in this are better frankly than the, the i mean you know, no, the ex-villain characters who he's got in the nick spencer run are, are good fun as well um but i know we're not generally that positive about nick spencer these days but it's a it's a fun little series that i think is is worth reading if you have not an astonishing ant-man i think it ran for about 15 issues before it got wrapped up just before secret wars
2: yeah that's the one that leans quite heavily on the parental stuff as well isn't it
1: yeah, I mean, it is it is totally, it's a comic that was designed to appeal to people who liked the movie. Yeah, quite. Um, and so, naturally, it, it would appeal if you liked this one as well.
2: <laughs> my, my two suggestions would be, uh, if you haven't read FF uh, with uh, Ant-Man as a sort of replacement Fantastic Four member, that's worth it. It's quite good. Know. And
1: actually, if you're going to read both, read FF first, because a character from FF shows up in the Nick Spencer Ant-Man, <laughs> but her history with Scott comes from FF. Is it, is so it Miss Thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah, it's good re- Good reading for that. It's got She-Hulk in too, and She-Hulk's always good. And it's by uh, Alred. So.
1: Yeah, uh, Matt Fraction and Mike Alred. Yep. Amazing. Yeah,
2: Definitely worth reading. Also, I would say, if you want to know more about Cassie Lang's superhero career, go and read Young Avengers.
1: Is
0: that Kieran
1: You could read you know, any any
2: version of the Young Avengers, to be honest. Well,
1: she's not in she's not in the Gillen McKelvey stuff, though, is she? Uh, she's not on that
2: team. She, yeah, she's in good,
1: the the Heimberg and children, point. but she's not in the uh...
2: yeah because she died. Remember the reason
1: why Young Avengers fans don't like the Gillen McKelvey stuff, even though it's better, is because it's different characters. Good point.
2: So either read <laughs> right. the original Alan Heinberg, Young Avengers or Young Avengers: The Children's Crusade, which she
0: is in excellent okay um, we'll move on to our final section now which is the pitch which I know listeners you would probably be thinking <laughs> what's the point you don't do them anymore um,
1: we'll do them on we, the next mini because we haven't done a mini-sode yes. for weeks and months but we will the catch next, up on all of them I promise. the
0: next mini-sode will essentially be a pitch special so get ready I've for that I've got a if really good
1: your... one for one of them but right now I can't remember what it is I need to go back and re-listen to what the question <laughs> <which> was <laughs> and then remember what my amazing answer was <laughs>
0: Um, yeah so it'll effectively be a pitch special the next um, the next minisode I'm sure there'll be a little bit of news in there as well but if you like pitches download it if you don't like our pitch segment download it anyway but don't listen to it because if you download it we still get the stats still get the stats and honestly what are we if not stat chasers we're literally only in this for the download figures and the patreon money oh yeah and the marvel checks which James? I don't think you're going to get on. This <laughs> <night>. um, <laughs> so uh, the pitch for for uh, the next minisode is um, after Ant Man and the Wasp. I would like you to add a female superhero to the title of another superhero <laughs> franchise. So take it can be it can be a franchise that has already ended. Um, you could take Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, and I don't know, mate, that's Spider-Man and Spider-Gwen if you wanted. That's just an example. Or it could be a current one. You could take Captain America and, you know, do whatever you want there. So add a female superhero to the title of another superhero franchise, and we'll get to that on the next minisode. But that's it for this week's show. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Player FM. I'm sure you've all got podcast places that you can subscribe. And if you've got multiple, subscribe. Basically on all
1: anywhere, anywhere you just... that you can't get Alex Jones
2: podcasts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so just avoid us on Twitter. Um, uh, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. And James, we would like to thank
2: Adam Musgrave and Vincent Bryson
0: you guys you keep us going even after james has broken down our marvel relationship and they've cancelled all the checks you'll keep this podcast alive <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com um you can find james uh, seb writing about james gunn on the guardians <laughs> website the fun fact
1: about this La-dee-da. is that I had a big go at Mike Chernovich in the alt right, and I got less splashback for that than I did from Zack Snyder fans. So, not <laughs> not about that, but in general. So, what does that tell you?
0: Oh, you should write you should write about Snyder for the Guardian. That's the dream. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if we're plugging stuff as well, uh, I, I
1: wrote
2: a thing about Cassie Lang for Den of Geek, and I also wrote ooh. a thing about uh, Captain Picard for Den of Geek, where I got accused of not liking Star Trek.
1: <laughs> Sounds about right. I didn't think any Star Trek fans <laughs> I- like Star Trek.
0: and I've been on holiday so I haven't written anything but I have read The Shining so um, it's good, you guys should read it Um, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse, or you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week, goodbye goodbye You sent me to hell, Jason. I'm here to return the favour. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Spawn. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savoury tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba. Some places take you away, some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon
1: and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.